Welcome to the Weekend Sports Buds here on 1450 WXVW. I am Kelly Patrick coming at you with an extended version of the Weekend Sports Buzz this morning. We have an action-packed show from 9 until noon today. We've got a couple big guests. At 10.15, we have Mo Egger of ESPN 1530 out of Cincinnati. He's going to come on and... As exciting as it can be, he's going to try to talk to us and get us all jacked up for the Cincinnati Reds and Major League Baseball this season. And at 11.40, we have our man Myron Medcalf of ESPN.com, staff writer for college basketball. If you look right now on the front page of ESPN.com, there's an article. It's titled, Coach Calipari ejected 146 seconds into the game against South Carolina. Myron Medcalf's actually the guy who, who wrote that article. So a couple big guests we have today. Very excited about the show. We actually have our man, Brian the Insider, is on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram buzz line with us. Once again, the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram buzz line is 502-384-1450. Give us a call. We'd love to hear your feedback about Louisville's loss yesterday. Kentucky's, what I'll go ahead and say, is a big win on the road after Cal gets ejected. Uh, or the NBA All-Star Game. We'd love to hear your feedback. 384-1450. How you doing this morning, Brian? Kelly, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Glad to be on. Boy, what a nice show you got lined up. Really is a, a very action-packed show we got today. Um, great, two great guests. Yeah, let's start right off by congratulating the Cats. I mean, you know, amazing. South Carolina went into that game last night 21-3. and uh, eight and three in the SEC, all the losses, but what a fat record, 21 and three, and uh, what a big win for the Cats on the road in bizarre fashion with, Cat, with Cat. I mean, I don't know if, if he was hungry and missed a meal and maybe the Snickers commercial type deal or. You, mean, think, you, think, you think that's what happened? I think he may have been hungry. I mean, he seemed to be hungry. Okay. And, uh, it looks like and, he's gained a little bit of weight. I don't know if that's what you're referring to, but. Well, he, he was angry, but uh, man, oh, man, what about Tyler Eulis? And I've been, I've been tooting his horn as the best point guard all year on this show. And I think, I mean, what, 27 points, 12 assists. Both career highs. Oh, but I don't know how. I mean, he, he, every game he seems to be in the mid-20s. Yeah. Murray had 26. That guard play right there, as we all know, I remember Al McGuire used to talk about it. Guard play wins you championships, especially in March. And I can't think of a better two guards in the country, in the country, than Tyler Eulis and Murray. Murray is still projected as a mid-first-round first draft. Tyler Eulis is the—I don't care what Dick Dachau or Dan or whatever that jerk's name is— uh, I mean, Eulis is the best point guard in the United States, and and he just proved he doesn't even need a coach, and he may coach better than Cal, as it looks. What happened was Kenny Payne, longtime Cal assistant, actually a former Louisville Cardinal, uh, took the reins as Cal was ejected, and what, what Kenny Payne said in the press conference afterward was that he emphasized defense with the team and that on offense, he simply told his point guard, Tyler Eulis, you run the show. And we, we see that that was obviously a good decision, and you got to give a lot of credit where it's due with, 
with uh, Kenny Payne coming out with the win. Does, does Kenny Payne deserve the actual victory on his record with that? I think it'd go to Cal because he started the game, but it brings up a great point. When does Kenny Payne get his shot? At, I mean, you know, when does he get a shot at being a head coach? I mean, maybe that opens some eyes. You know, he got a ring with Louisville. Uh, when does Kenny Payne get an opportunity to lead his own program? But, uh, yeah, he made a lot of right calls there, and congratulations to the Cats. What a big, impressive road win. Uh, very, very impressive. Won both halves, uh, really dominated the game, and uh, a, a real nice game by Marcus Lee, as a matter of fact, too. Double-double for Marcus. So, you know, so far, the Cats look pretty good with Poitras not playing. So uh, it'd be good to get him back for the tournament, but uh, he has underachieved. Let's go to the cards. I got to tell you, I, I've said this now for two or three weeks, and I know a lot of cards fans don't want to hear it, but I think the cards are better without the two fifth-year guys. And, and, and to read this morning that Trey Lewis is upset about looking over his shoulders, if you haven't seen the piece in the Courier Journal, it's disgusting in my opinion. I mean, he played 25 minutes, and when he's playing, Donovan Mitchell's not playing. And there is no comparison in ability, in my opinion. And for have Trey Lewis be out on the court for 25 minutes uh, and, and and then to complain about looking over his shoulders and he felt like he was in shackles. Not sure where he's going with that comment, but uh, I think that's a real slap in the face to Patino because I think, to a fault, Patino is playing Trey Lewis too much and way too much out of Damian Lee. I mean, once again, just like the Kentucky game, on the road, we're at Notre Dame on the road, and we get the ball with three with, with 15 seconds left, I think, and we got a shot to tie the game. And once again, Damian Lee takes a, a three-pointer that doesn't hit anything, doesn't hit the rim at all, just like at Kentucky. I mean, tries to make it look like there's contact, which there wasn't, just like at Kentucky. And the bottom line was we give the ball to our fifth-year senior who played, I thought, poorly in the second half, and I thought Dang Adele should have played more. The good news for this Cardinal team, Kelly, is that they're going to be a lot better next year because uh, when those two guys are gone, and I know Rick wanted a quick fix and tried to go about it, you know, and, and it worked during the early season, but when you get into the ACC on the road and you're playing the talent, that Virginia and North Carolina and Duke and Notre Dame and Pitt and all these teams have, you find out why these guys are fifth-year seniors and why they're not playing professionally because they are limited athletically, and it's been showing up in the big games. And uh, for all the talk about this team, you know, going far in the tournament, uh, and now they can't with the postseason ban, I think you throw a lot of that out the window because if you can't beat a, a basically a, not a mediocre but not much better mediocre Notre Dame team when you clearly had that game won uh, and you can't finish them out which is becoming a trait of this team and becoming a trait of the two fifth-year seniors uh, then you, I, I can't see right now this being a deep tournament run if they were eligible but uh, you know nice nice that these guys have come in and and helped in this fifth year but uh, boy I tell you what this team will be much better next year when you got Dang Adele playing Damian Lee's minutes and much better, much better. Every time I see Trey Lewis on the floor, it makes me mad because I know Donovan Mitchell's not on the floor. And there's no comparison between those two, in my opinion. No, Donovan Mitchell seems to be much more efficient. He takes better shots. He's much more aggressive, better at getting to the free throw line. 
the whole nine yards, uh, Donovan Mitchell seems to be a much stronger option. And then to have Trey Lewis come out and complain. He played 25 minutes, and, and I don't think he played well. He's limited with his athletic ability. He can't create his own shot. He, he, he went in for a drive late in the game, which look, reminded me of, he reminds me of a 35-year-old YMCA player. I mean, he just kind of went in and flipped it up, and, and it looked like a volleyball spike, the guy. Did. I mean, any one of the defenders could have blocked it. It was, a, it was just a desperation, you know, uh, down-the-lane flip-up deal, and uh, I don't think we'd have seen that out of Donovan Mitchell. I mean, uh, so, and then to read that he's complaining about looking over his shoulder and feels like he's been shackles. He's in shackles. Patino's put him in shackles. Wow. Be interesting to see the repercussions from those comments. No question about it. The good thing, as you you mentioned, Brian, if we're trying to put a positive spin, because let's be honest, at this point, it's pretty low for Cardinal basketball fans, right? Yeah. We, 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 we were hoping we'd, we'd round out the season in impressive fashion, and we, we'd all rally behind this, um, getting this controversy behind us, and that the, the, the Louisville uh, team would, would maybe even win the regular season for the ACC. And that's clearly not going to happen, dropping two in a row. Um, what we can look for is to see progression out of these players over these remaining, I believe there's six remaining games. Um, and, and guys like... Anuaku, who hopefully will be back next year, Snyder, uh, Mahmoud, Spalding, Dingadell, and Donovan Mitchell in particular. Let me throw another one at you, Kelly. Did you, the first half, Mott Stockman came in because of foul trouble at the center position. Mott was two for two. He gave us as much production in eight minutes as we got out of Nanu for the whole game. I'm going to tell you, just as Patino has said it, nobody can stop him in practice. I mean, you know, I don't know why he doesn't get a play more. I know you can only play a couple center positions at a time, but Mott Stockman has really shown, you know, and and they're both listed, him and Honest are both listed at seven foot. But when they came in, they said, I've read quite a few articles that Mott is 7'2 barefoot and Honest is 7'1. Uh, so I don't know why Patino has chosen to list them both at seven foot. But in all, uh, Stockman looks 7-2 when he's in there, and he's got a lot of skill. And so, I mean, there's a lot of reason to be very, very hopeful going forward with this team, and I know Patino is. Did you, did you read, Kelly, did you see Patino's comments Friday? I know it's been an ongoing discussion uh, about, you know, Patino's going to get fired and a scandal and a whole deal. Did you read his comments and, and you hear his interview on Friday about his tenure and what he hopes will be his long tenure left at? UL. I did. I heard a long statement that he had made. What stood out to you about Patino's comments? That he loved coaching. He'd like to do it for 15 more years at the university will have him. Uh, you know, his contract runs to 25, 26, and it's still almost 51 million. Now, another thing that stuck out, which I didn't believe, was that if, if Louisville did not want him, that the contract would not be a big deal, meaning he would not stick Louisville with the whole contract or any of the contract, which you and I both, you know, uh, when you get fired and you're mad uh, and and then you want your money. You change your tune a little bit. You change your tune. But uh, as I've as I've said all along on this program, I would be shocked if if Rick Pitino voluntarily gives up the 50. He's not going to be fired. 
uh, unless some bombshell comes out yet or some new development, some new, you know, everyone's uh, something could new could happen. But I don't see Patino going anywhere. He's excited about this team as I am going forward. But uh, I tell you what, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see. But I, I really think this team uh, is is very limited because of the, the domination of the ball in the two fifth year guys and the two fifth year guys or they're not going on to play in the NBA next year. I don't see Trey Lewis going to, I don't know what the, the, the smallest European deal is. Maybe Thailand, maybe, uh, maybe Jamaica's got a team he can go and, you know, uh, uh, harvest some marijuana during the, during the off season and play sports there. I mean, I don't know where Trey Lewis goes, but I, I bet you'll see him at the Northeast Y in Louisville uh, very soon. Now, if we're looking back at Pacino teams and the personality and the, the characteristics that make up those teams, prior to Luke Hancock and Russ Smith, the Louisville team struggled to do what? To create their own shot. Um, and and I, in large part, I believe Rick Pitino brought in Lewis and Lee as guys who are going to be able to, if nothing else, create their own shot. Because I don't think that this team necessarily has a lot of guys who can do that. How do you see the offensive production? Next year, with these two guys gone, Donovan Mitchell obviously should be the go-to man. I don't think there's any debate with that. Are you? Are we? Are we on the same page there? No. I, I, well, I don't think he needs to be. You know, Michael Jordan. Well, who, who, who's uh, gonna think, who's gonna take the most shots on this team? Because it doesn't jump out to me. Well, I think I think the most shots are going to come in the paint. Louisville's loaded in the paint. Race Balding looks great. Honest looks good. Nanu, I do believe, will be back. He's Some people have him projected as a second round. I've seen two or three uh, draft reports that don't have him listed at all. I don't see. He's kind of plateaued this year. I'd be shocked if he doesn't come back. But if he does, that's fine. Mott Stockman gets to play more. But I think Dang Adele, you know, he played four minutes yesterday because he plays the position that Damian Lee plays. So, uh, I think Dang Adele is going to take significant uh, attempts next year and is going to be a big star for Louisville going forward. I think the, the cards are in good hands with Dang Adele and Donovan Mitchell, but I think the real strength is inside. Uh, Jay, boy, talk about inside performance. Jalen Johnson has really fallen off and really uh, some, some, some bizarre efforts with the ball in the paint. Zero points. He's getting a lot of minutes, but he certainly hasn't progressed like a lot of Cards fans, myself included, thought and hoped he would. You know, and it's not because he's not getting to play. I mean, he starts most games and really has, except for a couple games where he's had maybe close to a double-double, Jalen Johnson has been the one person on this team uh, as a sophomore that really does not look like he's progressed a lot like Do- the other guys. Doesn't look like he belongs on this type of team. Maybe Tubby Smith ball or something along those lines would be a better fit for Jalen Johnson. But in all seriousness, you see Raymond Spaulding, Anas Mahmoud, um, as, as big bigs who can move. And, and, and yeah. even Matt Stockman and uh, Shinanu's not the most agile guy out there, but he moves around pretty well and he has his strengths and he's good with the ball. Uh, Jalen Johnson seems like a stagnant big man. Uh, he's almost got the, the body movements and, and the body structure of a 10-year NBA veteran, which doesn't, or 15-year NBA veteran. He's not, He's not very mobile, and you need that no. in a Rick Pitino system, whether it's Otis George or, I've always said, or, or Walter McCarty. I think that Rick's systems work best when he has bigs who can get out there and press, and they're agile, and they've, they've got uh, dexterity. Jalen Johnson does not have that. 
No, I tell you what, you know, Jalen Johnson's minutes, in my opinion, could be taken up by uh, Raymond Spalding next year or Honest. Uh, and, you know, I, it, they've got a, a, a lot of bigs that can play. And uh, Jalen's getting valuable minutes when you've got guys like Mott Stockman on the bench and you got guys like uh, Dang Adele. I mean, he played four minutes yesterday, uh, you know. Brian, I'm, I'm going to have to call, not call you out, but um, you seem very high on Dang Adele. Let's look back over his, his uh, productivity. I guess against Boston College, he did have a big game, right? 34 minutes, he had 13 points. Um, is that is that the glimpse into what Ding Adele can do against Virginia? He had twelve points, five rebounds. But why are you so high on Ding Adele? I went to the. Keep in mind, Ding Adele was a five star recruit that came in last uh, this year, uh, highly recruited, top twenty player. Might have been the jewel of the class, and and, and that's including, you know, uh, um, Spalding and uh, Mitchell. But he came out. I went went to the red white one of the red white games. He had thirty five points in the game. Uh, he's Patino has said all year long he's the strongest guy on the team bench press wise this is and he's the best defender and he's very good offensively as we know he hurt his knee he had to have a surgery he was out came back very timid what's happened with Dang Adele is that he doesn't get any minutes Damian Lee if you go back and look at Damian Lee I think he got 36 minutes yesterday Damian Lee does not Patino does not take him off the court so he doesn't get in but I am telling you, you watch out. Dang Adele will be a very productive player, and he's got a much bigger upside than Damian Lee. And in my opinion, he's more athletic. He's got the kind of body. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's a better shooter. Now, I know you're going to find that hard to believe, but, I mean, I got I a do. problem with I got a problem with the, sh- the, the, uh, the threes that don't go in and don't hit the rim out of Damian Lee, and especially at crunch time. He is he, – he's – so – I really think you're going to see a much improved Dang Adele, and you're going to see a bigger upside with him. And uh, yeah, I, I'm very, very high on Dang Adele. I, I He's think just not getting any minutes. I think Brian, you and I can agree on this. At first glance, both of these fifth-year fifth transfer options doing the graduate program route, whereas they they have a fifth year of eligibility. One and done's the joke for Rick's style in Trey Lewis and Damian Lee. At first glance, early in the season, they seem like perfect saviors and just the, the absolute uh, missing piece to a Rick team. But in as conference play progresses, they don't seem to be able to carry their weight. And they're, they're being truly um, exposed for not being ACC caliber players. Especially Trey Lewis. Especially, we may be a little tough on Damian Lee. I mean... Uh, although he had a bad game, and he's had a series of them, in my opinion. Uh, Trey Lewis clearly does not have the athleticism to compete at the ACC level at a high level. He could be a good third guard, but when you're getting 25 minutes and you got Donovan Mitchell sitting, I think Q is a much better option on the floor. I would go with those two guys. I like Q's development. He is He's played very good. Uh, I think he had four assists and one turnover. You know, so he takes care of the ball. Damian, uh, Trey Lewis, I've seen him kick the ball out of bounds. I mean, he gets picked by other quicker guards, but he cannot create his own shot unless he's left wide open. He can't get a shot off because he has no elevation and he just doesn't have a very quick release. So, no, I think I think those both of those guys look great. And everyone thought it was a genius move by Patino to pull in these two fifth year guys during the silly schedule. But now that we've got into the heart of the ACC play, the Creams not rising to the top because uh, let's call a spade a spade. If these guys 
were that good and that kind of talent that we'd hoped they were, they wouldn't be fifth-year seniors. They wouldn't have transferred to Louisville. They'd have left and went played professionally and gotten paid. Do you think there's something – it's being blown out of proportion when there's many Cardinal fans um, who are – so critical of the administration for these self-imposed sanctions in in their rallying cry, Brian, has been in large part, what about these fifth-year seniors? Don't you sympathize with them? I do. I mean, that's sad a little bit. But, I mean, hey, this is a big boy deal, and you come in and, uh, you know, that that's, uh, that's an unfortunate deal, and nobody likes to see it. And they, they clearly had nothing to do with it. So, yes, I do sympathize with them. But, uh, you know, I think, especially in retrospect now, I think the cards did the right thing. You know, keep in mind, all along the cards said they're going to take a look at find out what happened and, and then react. Well, they found out clearly that they had some violations. So they said, hey, we can't move forward and play in the tournament, uh, you know, knowing what we do now. So I think now that was a good move. Now, did they get thrown out baby with the bathwater? Sure. And it's unfortunate. But I do say this. I do not see this team making the deep run that I thought they were capable of a month ago. I do not see it because there's too many minutes and too much control of the ball by two fifth-year guys. There's a reason they never played in the tournament. You know, They may not have had the great talent around them, but if they were truly great players, they could have gotten into the tournament in another fashion. They had four years of it at their schools, and the conference tournaments do allow for uh, teams – you know, smaller conference teams to get into the tournament and it didn't happen. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying these are bad guys. I'm just saying the quick fix that Rick thought he had with these two fifth year guys hasn't panned out that way because athletically, uh, especially Trey Lewis, I mean, I know I'm beating a dead horse, but, and then to see the comments, uh, you know, that he's got to look over his shoulder. If I was coaching the team, he wouldn't have to look over the shoulder. He'd have to look to his right to see the players sitting next to him because he'd be at the end of the bench. He would not be playing uh, 25 minutes. He would be the third guard off the – I think he would, but he, he may not even be that. If nothing else, I think these fifth-year players, Brian, have taken the pressure off of a guy like Quentin Snyder and have allowed him to – develop into a, a much more well-rounded player and that he's turned into a more of a legitimate shooting option is what I believe. And I think that they, them taking the bulk of the shots takes the pressure off of some of these other guys. So in the long run... I may- disagree with that. I okay. Dis- takes the pressure off. Yeah. No, they need the pressure. This is the time of year. You know, I hope Rick didn't just let these guys just fire it up and say, these are our guys we're going down. I'd like to build towards next year. But I don't think... I think there's players on this team... Uh, that would like the ball in their hand and would like to shoot. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's taking the pressure off them at all. I, I think it's 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 being a, a ball hawk, basically, in my opinion. Those of our, our listeners who are Kentucky fans would be disappointed if we didn't get to at least mention we've already sung the praises of one extraordinary effort out of Tyler Eulis and Kenny Payne. Um, but also All-Star Weekend in that uh, guys like Carl Anthony Towns, who I didn't think that a big would ever have a chance in the Skills Challenge. Did you get to see the Skills Challenge, Brian? No, but I read about it this morning. Carl Anthony Towns is just having an unbelievable year, as as are many UK one-and-dones. I mean, it is unbelievable how well they're, they're, they're playing. And, uh, you know, it, it shows you a couple things. One, a lot of them that year out, they're like a, a two-year-old colt going into their three-year-old season. They grow and they get bigger and they get much better. 
And that's what's happened to a lot of these one and dones. But and, and, you know, and that's and that goes right in with why I think Cal is such a valuable commodity in the NBA is because the, the amount of talent that is floating around that Cal brought in through Kentucky is is unbelievable. And I mean, you, I don't even know where to start. Obviously, you got to start with Anthony Davis, but I bet not long uh, towns may may eclipse that you got cousins. I mean, I, I mean. It's it's really a, a very very impressive, and then you go through Bledsoe, and uh, you know I saw I think everyone saw the clip this week of uh, uh, Archie Goodwin getting in a fight with one uh, of the Lopez's or or the, one of the no, Morris's. No. Yeah, Morris. Yeah, and uh, and Devin he, Booker he had a very nice showing in the three point contest. Yep, but Goodwin had twenty points in that game. He turned around after getting shoved by uh, by that his big center on the team, uh, which I don't think you know he needed, but. Uh, he turned around, had 20. So, I mean, it's just unbelievable the talent UK's got in the league and uh, in an unprecedented commodity that Cal would be in the fact that uh, he could go anywhere if he had the cap room and put together a UK team that would, uh, I mean, just be extremely impressive. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, the, the UK NBA players – uh, I think are playing fantastic. What about the implications as far as how that will impact the weekend sports buzz? And what I mean by that, Brian, is we're not an NBA market, but you and I are both NBA fans, always have been. Do you think the more Kentucky players that are, are uh, sprinkled across the, the country in the National Basketball Association, the, the higher the interest will be across the, the state of Kentucky? Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're going to buy the tickets for 41 games a year. No, no, and, and I'm not suggesting that we get a team. I'm just talking about are we going to – we've always had this notion of guys across the state of Kentucky who love college basketball and women, but they don't like the NBA. I'm not trying to say we need a team here. I'm talking about do you think that interest has increased noticeably? I know that you're yeah, – I believe your wife is actually a Kentucky fan. Uh, yeah, big time. Uh, but, but yeah, to a degree, but you go back to the exhibition game they had this past year at the Young Center, very poorly attended. Now, the year before that, when they had uh, Anthony in, uh, you know, it was good attendance, but it, it, it's a fickle, uh, it's not really a love for the NBA, it's a love for those UK, former UK players. You see it everywhere you go. When I go to an NBA, I go to the Pacer games, and uh, anytime there's a UK player on the opposing team, uh, you're going to see 30 or 40 UK fans in the crowd there to cheer that guy on. They really don't care what happens in the game. They're there to cheer that guy. And I tell you what, I've read on a lot of blogs where it's a new phenomenon going on now in the ACC that has really surprised Virginia and Duke and all these other teams where Louisville's went in to play them, and they can't understand why there's 30, 40, 50 UK fans there rooting against Louisville. And I've read <laughs> Wearing their I've blue. Wearing their blue, and uh, you know, Louisville fans have gotten used to it. That's just where this little part of life where they go. There's there's a contingent of uh, UK fans there rooting against them, but those ACC teams had never seen it. And I read all kind of articles, uh, blogs where they were just they were just dumbfounded. They they were not exposed to that before, and uh, so. But th- that's the same thing going on there. It's in my opinion, it's not. It's marginally more in interest in the NBA, but it's really just further support of those NBA players. Hey, let me point out a couple of things real quick going on in the world of sports. Phil Mickelson is is leading the, you know, the very famous Pebble Beach Pro-Am, 
and he's got a great field in that. And and Phil Lefty is really doing well, and that's going to be a huge story. You know, Phil had to have his career coincide with Tiger, and there's no comparison that Tiger got the best of Phil. I think Phil's ended up with five, maybe. Uh, so, but as Tiger has fallen off, and Phil's older, I think Phil's 46, 45, 46. Um, it's unbelievable what Phil's doing, and and if he can pull this uh, PGA win, that'll be a really amazing thing there, and uh, I know I'll be watching it. You know, he's 45 years old. I believe Jack Nicholas famously won his last major at the age of 45. Does that sound right? 46. No, he won the Masters at 46. Okay. So if we're looking at that, and, and we can probably just assume Phil's juicing with the HGH, right? Well, he's got that scoriosis arthritis, so he's he's jacked up on something. But I don't think that that could be uh, – no, I don't think he's uh, – Do they test these guys? Yeah, they do. They do because Tiger, if you go back, there was a lot of speculation. You know, look how big Tiger got. Uh, but, no, I don't know that Phil Mickelson has spent any weekends with Peyton Manning, if that's what you're getting at, if he's uh, if he's on the same juice that Peyton is on. But uh, what do you- I don't think – what do you think of Peyton Manning? Speaking of that, do you think uh, are you buying the whole uh, what what is probably a marketing spiel that has turned into Peyton Manning and, and his last game? You know, everybody wanted to see him go out on top. I don't know that he's retiring, but he got that Super Bowl. He said immediately afterwards, "All oh, shucks, I'm going to go hug my wife and and kids, and then I'm going to drink some Budweiser." Um, are you buying the 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 old Southern boy image that that Peyton Manning is selling? No, not not really. Um, and I'll tell you what, if Peyton doesn't retire, I'll lose a lot of respect for him because he clearly has diminished skills. He, he has his ability to go out on top. Denver does not want him back. Uh, they've got a quarterback that they've got to do something with. They either got to, you know, sign him and let him play or they're going to lose him. And, and Peyton's skills are, are gone. I mean, this is the perfect way for him to ride out. I don't know what he's waiting for, but, you know, if he tries to sign with another team – or make things difficult for the Broncos, I'm going to lose a lot of respect from him because, I mean, he, he clearly is showing signs of brain damage now. If He if he, uh, he should have just, like Den, like uh, Elway did when he won it, just go right out. And, that, I mean, the storybook ending has been there for him, and I don't know what he's waiting for, but uh, it'll be a real shame if he doesn't take this opportunity and retire on top. Brian, I know we have limited time with you this morning, but before we let you go, any I'm going to ask you about the NBA in the second half of the season, what to look forward to. But before we get to that, any horse racing news? We're not that I'm far away from, from the Kentucky Derby. I know you're, no, on, you're I, on assignment in Tampa right now. Update us on that, please. Yep. Uh, my wife and I went to the, uh, the second biggest day at Tampa Downs. Probably, if, if, if the listeners have not been to Tampa Bay Downs, what a beautiful racetrack that is. And we love it down there. Beautiful day. And uh, we went down there, and they had a great card and had all the big jockeys and trainers in from Gulfstream. Uh, big card. And we watched Destin, I guess named for this Florida City, very impressive win in the Sam Davis. Now, the Sam Davis $250,000 uh, three-year-old race used to be – it's a big prep for the local Tampa Bay Derby, which does have points. But Churchill got into it with uh, Tampa Bay Downs over the uh, simulcast signal. So they uh, they took their ball and went home. They pulled the points on this. Did not seem to affect the horse players or they got a very nice uh, field. Destin uh, had a nice win in that and he'll move forward. Very nice looking colt for Tom, Todd Pletcher. 
And uh, so that's another uh, another shot Pletcher has. And then we were blessed to see Teppin, the magnificent filly, won the Endeavor Stakes. If you remember, she beat the boys in the Breeders' Cup, Breeders Cup Turf Mile. And, and she was, what a beautiful looking mare, and ran to her beautiful class and a very impressive win for Teppin. So we, we just had a fantastic day down there, and uh, we love coming to Tampa to watch the races and uh, a real treat. But, yeah, it's really looking like a wide-open derby field. You know, there's still some speculation. What are they going to do with Songbird? Clearly the best three-year-old three year old in training is a filly by the name of Songbird that is just romping and everything they put her in and looks like she may be the most special filly ever. Who knows? And, and the owner is still saying – he, he doesn't like the Derby point system because he doesn't want to have to run her against boys uh, and, you know, to get the points to get into Derby. So she's still pointing towards, you know, it's going to be another deal like Rachel when Rachel went into the, uh, the Oaks and won it by a record 20 lengths. Uh, and the time was a, a second faster than they ran the Derby the next day. It's going to be one of those kind of deals where I'm afraid we're the best three-year-old is going to be a filly that doesn't get in the race, but she's clearly the class. We've got Nyquist. We've got more spirit. We've got some other really good looking ones, but it's a wide open Derby, wide open Derby, Kelly. Great. Before we let you go, Brian, what, what do we have to look forward to in the second half of the NBA season? I know the golden state warriors are on a, on an unprecedented pace. Uh, is it going to be a route? Are they going to run through it and they're going to win the NBA finals or do someone like the San Antonio Spurs have a legitimate chance? We all know how Popovich and this cast of characters in San Antonio, how they like to pace themselves and continually sit players out. You always see on SportsCenter, uh, there's the Spurs playing, but look, Tim Duncan's sitting in the stands. What's going on there? Um, is that approach going to work this year or are the Warriors going to run away with it? That's a great question. That's the million-dollar question. How much are they going to try to get the record? And, you know, if, if Pop had the uh, – San Antonio's coach, Popovich, he had the chance, the record wouldn't mean anything to him. The 72-year, 72-win uh, Chicago Bulls record that, that Seth Curry and all these guys say they really want, and they're on pace to get it. The question is, is, is Steve Kerr going to really – because you're going to have – you're going to get games late in the season where – you know, they they clearly got the playoffs locked up uh, and, and probably the number one seed. Uh, but are they going to play those players to get the record and, and, and potentially risk having a tired team or maybe even an injury going into the playoffs? But the problem they have is that the Spurs are very, very good and they have not lost at home either. So they have got to make sure they get the number one seed because in the West, they don't want to have to go through San Antonio to try to get to the NBA Finals because it looks like home court will hold uh, between those two teams. They're both undefeated at home. So it's going to be very interesting to see Steve Kerr, how he handles this situation as it gets later in. And they are clearly, I think I read statistically, maybe about a 60% chance of getting 73 wins, which would be the all-time record. So it's going to be interesting to see a young, inexperienced coach in Steve Kerr how he handles this situation and see, you know, I mean, it's going to be, uh, I don't know I, if I, I would be more concerned about the big picture uh, than, than the smaller one, because if they get the 73 wins and they don't win the NBA championship, it's not going to be that big a deal. In my opinion, I would love to see Popovich, somebody have the, the guts to ask him, 
if winning 72 games or breaking the record would be important to him. I, I think it would be a comical a comical response we'd get out of him where he would, yeah, I'm guessing he would say, well, does that help me win the NBA title? And, and, they, and they would, no, no, it doesn't doesn't help you win the NBA title, then he would probably laugh and maybe walk out of the interview. Yeah, exactly. And that's and, and it's going to be interesting to see the leadership that Steve Kerr has because his players want the record. His players clearly want the record. And he's going to have to be the, the, the adult in the room and say, hey, look, guys, there's a bigger picture here. And, we, you know, it, it's, it's still interesting to see how it all plays out. Maybe they don't get to that. Maybe they go through a, a second-half slump and it takes them out of that equation. But I tell you what, they better not look too far past the San Antonio Spurs because, in my opinion, that team's better. And that team, if they had home court advantage, would beat Golden State in a seven-game uh, series. What about the three-point contest last night, Kelly, between the two teammates? Golly. Devin Booker. Don't forget about Devin Booker. Yeah, he looked great, Mike. He did look great. What a great stroke he's got. And I tell you what, he'll get into that thing. And he, I mean, he's just another one of the Cats players that have really stepped up. And uh, I tell you what, it's a, it, it, it's an, it's an impressive collection of UK players right now in the NBA. Unprecedented, in my opinion. The one thing that we forgot about, too, when talking about that Spurs-Warriors whole thing is you don't want to have to play either, you know, you don't want to have to play go through Oklahoma City and then have to play in that Western Conference Finals. Because we can't no. discount Oklahoma City. There's... For the first time ever, three teams in one conference at the All-Star break have 40-plus wins. So uh, don't discount the, the, the Thunder. A lot and of people are forgetting about that. You're right. I, I didn't even consider mentioning that just now, and I was not aware of the statistic. First time ever. And we know that they played an 82-game season for how long, Brian, Mike? How long have they played 82 oh, games? Golly, as far as I, I would was, say 40 years. Yeah, 40, as long as I've been alive. So Yeah. But uh, I tell you what, the other thing that it does point out, though, Mike, is that the, 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 how many bad teams there are, especially in the East. I mean, if you got three teams at the All-Star break over 40 games, 40 wins, there's a lot of teams that got 40 losses. And there's a lot of – I don't know if there are, but there, it, it is a haves and have not right now in the NBA. There's some very poor teams. Uh, and the first one that comes to mind is the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, man, oh, man, they, they're very uncompetitive. Better record than they had last year, though. I mean, they're moving the right direction. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, as yeah. as much as that says for whatever. Rumors so. have it that Carmelo Anthony, that they may be in talks to trade Carmelo Anthony. Three-team three deal. Okay, for, in effect, taken from the from the Knicks and sending him to Cleveland for Kevin Love. Well, Kevin Love would go Good. to Boston. Okay, well, regardless, but yeah. Carmelo Anthony, do you guys think that that would help Cleveland's chances? Of making a run and come, obviously they're going to come out of the East. I mean, we haven't even debated that because it's not a question. Um, Who, the Cavs? That, yeah, that's not a lock. That's not a lock. Who, who's going who's gonna to give them a run for their money? I don't know, but I think they're a couple games up. I'm not sure, uh, but that's not a, that's not the same kind of lock we're dealing with over in the West, and especially if that deal happens. Well, Carmelo, I wouldn't take him. I wouldn't sit him. I play Trey. You heard my spiel on Trey Lewis. I think I'd put Trey Lewis in as a shooter. He is the, the proverbial black hole. He's never won. He did win at Syracuse uh, as a freshman, but in the NBA, he's done nothing, and he would ruin the chemistry on that team. I think it'd be a horrible move. But the Toronto Raptors are number two in the East. Behind them, the Boston Celtics, then the Atlanta Hawks, Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers, Chicago Bulls, and then the Hornets. I mean, who's going to get? Games are the Cavs, how many games are the Cavs up over Toronto? Toronto's three games back. 
So, I mean, it's not likely, but I'm just saying there's a lot of basketball to be played and there's injuries that play into it. And, you know, I, I guess they probably have a 60, 70 percent chance of being the one seed coming out of the East. But I, I wouldn't I'm not I when I watch the Cavs, I'm not overly impressed with them. I wouldn't count out Toronto in that in that scenario. I mean, I think when no. you got uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and they seem to really play like a team and everybody seems to I think the the. So the Toronto guys understand their roles and how to play together better than the Cavs do. I agree. And and I tell you what, Boston gets Kevin Love, and that works out well for him, which I don't know if it would or not. That would be a huge mistake, in my opinion, by the way, for them to get Kevin Love. You don't think it would work for them? No, just because they need a guy. They, they don't, they have so, they're so guard-heavy anyway that the, they don't need to bring in a big man who wants to hang out behind the three-point line doesn't want to mix it up on the rebound side. Well, he does rebound. He does to a degree, but it's not. He's not a physical inside presence. No, he's not a defensive presence. But at times during Kevin Love's career, he has some of the more more of the twenty rebound games than anybody in the modern era. Because he played for the Timberwolves, okay. and no one else was going to rebound. But, but but I'm saying in a different setting, he may get back to where he rebounds more. I agree with you. The Celtics have an identity, and I heard a good comparison this past week. Uh, where Isaiah, little Isaiah Thomas is almost playing an Allen Iverson-esque role, where, where they've got some guys who hustle and they're big, and then you have a volume scorer who leads the team. So I, I think this Celtics team is interesting, and if we really dug into it, uh, the Raptors, Celtics, Hawks, um, there's some, some intriguing storylines going on in the East that we may be overlooking. Can we say that yeah. the Brad Stevens uh, experiment has worked? Brad Stevens yeah. can coach anywhere, yes, apparently. But I, I think that the biggest story would be what would Carmella do to the Cavs, and I can't see that being a positive unless they find a way to play with more than one ball. If they if they can, LeBron can get a ball, and Carmella can keep a ball, uh, then then they got a shot. And there's Kyrie's in there AI, too. Did anybody see? A, yeah, he wants the ball too. Anybody see uh, Allen Iverson? Uh, over All Star Weekend, everyone had their tucks on, and Allen came. He had the chains, and he uh, looked like he could still get out on the court. But it was good to see AI out. Did you all? Did you all talk about the dunk contest yet? No, we haven't really talked about it. I think it was sub- substantively a, a very entertaining. Oh my, it was incredible. I mean, okay. it was the best it's been. You can always take the shot that Zach Levine averages twelve points a game. I think. I think Aaron Gordon averages six. Well, it doesn't change the fact that they can dunk and no. they're athletic and they're in the league. Spud, <laughs> Spud wasn't a big scorer. I mean, he had a nice NBA career. I think he played 11 years. But, no, this is this is a specialty deal. And uh, 12 points in the NBA, if you're averaging 12 points in the NBA, you're a pretty damn good player. And Aaron Gordon was doing things. I mean, and Zach, to Zach Levine's credit, after <sighs> afterwards, even though Zach won, he said Aaron Gordon was doing things that there's no way he could do. And, uh, and that's the, you know – they were pulling these dunks out that you had to get fifties to, and uh, but I mean Aaron Gordon took it to a whole another level last night with the dunk contest. To see those two kind of go back and forth with it was was incredible. So, yeah, the NBA is in good shape right now, and it's good to see. Uh, but uh, Mike, congratulations, great win for the catch yesterday. As I've said all along, Tyler Eulis is showing that he is clearly the number one point guard in college basketball. What a performance. I'm going to close off, guys, by saying there was another great win last night, and that's a man that's trying to make America great again, <laughs> my boy Donald Trump. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the call, Brian. Have a great rest of your weekend. Um, thanks, guys. Love we'll, being on. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Brian. You know, <laughs> if that's going to stir up callers, and I don't, you know, if that doesn't stir up callers, I don't know what will.
he brought up the uh, the the cats win yesterday, and you know I when we when we get to our ten o'clock hour, especially, I kind of want to really start there because that was a very significant win for Kentucky. Um, just Kentucky being able to I, in two months ago, South Carolina on the road would have been the exact team where I would have said Kentucky would have had no chance against because they are they've got experience. I said it They're yesterday. Physical, yeah. So you got the big guys. I mean, is they're one hundred percent the type of matchup that I would have assumed would beat Kentucky, and it was on the road. And for them to not just get that win, but the way they won, I I've seen. Tell me what you think, Kelly. We've seen more progression in this Kentucky team from game one to game whatever they're on now than we've had with any Cal team to this point. On the heels of yesterday's game, yeah, it's tough to argue with no, that. No, on the heels of the last three weeks. Okay. And we've even seen little things in that last three weeks that kind of show that you know they had to learn a lesson in Tennessee. They they were up on the road 21. They got complacent, and things started falling apart, and they lost that game. But then you can see right away that they learned from it, and they bounced back, and they annihilated Florida. Then they annihilated Georgia, and then they annihilated South Carolina. And that's a Florida team that beat West Virginia on the road. Okay. I mean, this is not like we're uh, – this, and then South Carolina has been ranked uh, a good portion of the year. I mean, this is definitely a good South Carolina team. It's got a, a P.J. Dozier guy that Louisville won it big time. Uh, Sendarius Thornwell, who played in the Derby Classic. I mean, and, and then have those two foreign big guys. I mean, this is a good South Carolina team. Uh, Michael Carrera, not even – you know, don't even mention Michael Carrera, who's, who's fantastic for them. So um, – I just feel like that win for Kentucky, if they can close out strong in the SEC and they still got to go to Texas A&M, I think that's next weekend, then they are in a, you know, where they can get back in the conversation for a, for a four, three, four seed, get in that bracket that goes through the Yum Center. They've got a chance to make a run to the Final Four again. Do you disagree? No, that they have a chance to make a run to the Final Four? No, certainly not. Uh, if Marcus Lee can show up like he – I don't have the statistics in front of me. Marcus, okay, here we go. Yeah, Th- he had a double-double Thir- for the first time in like like three months. Thir- uh, 36 minutes, uh, 13 rebounds, 11 points, two blocks. I mean, if, if Marcus Lee can do what he did yesterday or a fraction of that, right? Well, I mean, to me it's – I mean that's huge because we that's a, that's an inside presence that Kentucky's lacking right now. And just energy, but you know? and I mean, energy huge, right? But the big difference has been the elevated play of of uh, Jamal Murray. Okay, I mean look at that stat line. Golly, twenty six points. He had what thirty five against Florida. I mean he is Jamal Murray has been finally living up to the hype of being a top three pick. And being the type of guy that, you know, the dunk he had yesterday, which was just absolutely sick. He's scoring in, in, in all different types of ways. This is the guy that we were hoping to see from Jamal Murray. And for him to come around the way he's coming around, I think he is uh, He's definitely going to elevate. It, the NCAA tournament is a guards, it's guard-driven, right? Oh, yeah. If always you, always has been. If Ulysses is... Scoring 27 and 12 assists, and Murray's got 26. I'm going to like Kentucky's chances against anybody they play. Sure. Uh, Now, I'm not talking about professional potential in the NBA, okay? Right. 
Is this a better backcourt than Eric Bledsoe and John Wall? Ooh. In college basketball productivity. I'm going to say, here's, here's the only reason why I would say it could be, is because both these guys can hit the outside shot a lot more consistently than those guys could, right? Sure, those guys were more sheer athletic. They were sheer athletic. And raw NBA potential. Get to the... Get to the uh, get to the hole, you know, and, and make a lot of things happen. I, you know, I I think Wall was a better ball handler than Ulysses, and I probably a better passer. Um, maybe Wall was a better point guard, but Ulysses is a better shooter. Um, Murray's probably better than Bledsoe, so I, I'm going to go with the draw on that one. Okay, but I mean the fact that we're comparing, especially. Knowing what we know about Wall and, and Bledsoe, both max contract NBA players, um, it's amazing. Uh, I guess it is different in that that U.S. obviously is a second year player. He's going to stay here for his junior year. More than likely, there's still there's rumblings. I mean, he's going to test the waters for Has sure. Has there been rumblings? Yes. Okay. Well, the draft being this week, I mean, the draft is. We're going to see so many foreign guys drafted this year. It's not even going to be funny. Like it's going to be. Foreign guy after foreign guy after foreign guy, so they can stash these guys in Europe and never have to pay them because they don't want to give three year contracts to any of these American guys right now. I mean, there what? There's probably how many how many American players right now that will be draft eligible? Do you think are worthy of a three year contract in the NBA in this college basketball season? At five, <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah. Seriously, I, I mean, it's it's low, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's bad. It's as bad as it's ever been, and um. You know, Buddy healed. Um, well, and then again, I mean, even with a guy like that, it's like yeah, they're so worried about taking seniors and how long they, you know, and and what that means to take a senior. What, I, what separates but, Buddy healed and Cat Barber? Man, that's a good question. And and, and but, I'm not saying that Cat I mean, Barber Buddy, deserves any. Um, Buddy healed's a better scorer than Cat Barber. He is clearly he's on a better team. Cat Barber's a better, probably point guard. Yeah. Um, but still not the distributor that you expect. I mean, because if Cat Barber was a true point guard, I think he's big-time NBA player potential, right? Yeah, he could be like like the next Gilbert Arenas as far as like being the thug in the locker room, so that'd be great. <laughs> but just a physical guard who can create his shot, almost, I guess, maybe Marcus Smart, would that be? Or, or no? Marcus uh, is very physical. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think about it, how tall Cat Barber. You is. you love how I just jump all over the comparisons. He's only six two. Yeah, and that but, would be a big concern for me for Cat Barber. Yeah, so. but I'm just trying to think across the landscape of college basketball to answer your question. You'd love to be six two though, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. I would. <laughs> I would. Uh, I would. You know, take somebody out to be six two if you know what I mean. Uh, you know, go. But going back to this Kentucky squad, just you know, I when you're looking at. 16 for 25 from the field between Euless and, and Murray. And then Euless, 27 points, 12 assists, and one turnover against a physical matchup. On the road. On the road. And not only on the road, your coach gets thrown out two minutes in, and the assistant says, here, here's the ball. You run the offense. I mean. That was a the, pretty good look for them, by the way. <laughs> it was. I, I mean. There's a there's some rumblings in the Kentucky fan base that this Cal trying to organize the way they play too much. And did we see yesterday what happens when you just let them go out and do their thing? I thought you were going to say that Cal uh, is demoted to lead recruiter 
And we let, have Kenny Payne be the head coach. No, we're, we're now talking about Co- Coach Cal. Is Coach Cal overcoaching? Is he over X and O? We gone. How about that? I mean, who would have ever thought we would have said anything? Well, about that, I mean, I know? think there may be some truth to that at some level. Uh, I think that's oversimplifying it. And anytime you have someone like me, I mean, in all seriousness, or any fan um, questioning someone like Cal, then you got to realize what you're discussing. That right. it's it's not that's not legitimate. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that Cal. I mean, he's clearly been stressing uh, about a lot of the stuff here. I mean, imagine the intensity. I mean, we, Cal is a great coach. He expects greatness from his one-and-done players. He wants to be able to sell next year, whoever the next big uh, one-and-done, the number one rated player in the country that Kentucky signed, the number one overall that Kentucky signed for next year. Who is it? Uh, well, De'Aaron Fox would probably be that guy. And he's the number one player overall? He's not the number one player overall. Okay. No, they, but basically. The top – out of the top three guys, and they all kind of get interchanged. One of them guys undecided, but he's not going to Kentucky. Okay. And the other two are going to Duke. But he wants to continue to be able to get those guys. He loves what he's doing here. He's sprinkling NBA talent across the uh, across the country. Oh, and then then in that All Star game last that everything last night was a complete commercial for Kentucky. Exactly. So he but he needs to keep that rolling the way that he truly wants to. I'm not saying it's going to fall off, but. Scal played 16 minutes. He had, once again, one rebound. Did I see him catch a nice alley-oop? Listen, Scal had one rebound in 16 minutes and four fouls. Okay, I'm, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Nothing. I, I mean, this guy. Where is he projected to be drafted? He's, but one's got him nowhere, and one still has him in the lottery between the two that we like to look at. So, what, Has there ever been a greater uh, chasm or whatever the terminology would be between college productivity Versus professional uh, projections. Well, Andre Drummond. Well, but, but Drummond I mean, yeah, actually but put Drummond up good was, numbers. But Drummond was always projected to be that, and I think people knew he was a project in that one year of college. I, I don't think I thought people. I think people thought Scal was be a little more polished than he was, and he's skilled. He just can't play physical basketball. So the difference between Drummond and Scal for me is that Scal is not going to be a good pro. He does not have the frame. He cannot okay. put on the weight. He will not be able to physically match up with a, a power forward or center in, in the NBA. As much as I hate on Drummond, he averaged 14 points a game, 10.6 rebounds. So those are that's a bad comparison. I, and I need UConn to stop. he did? Yeah, I need to stop He was that. a late bloomer, though. I mean, he didn't play a whole lot early on. So No. We'll be back. We're heading to a break. Be sure to stay tuned. Mike and I have an action-packed show the rest of the way. We'll be on the air till noon. Stay tuned for more Weekend Sports Buzz. Good morning, sports fans, and welcome to the Weekend Sports Buzz here on 1450 WXVW. Mike Gandolfo here with Kelly Patrick, and we are going to be talking about the week that was and the week that is in the world of sports. We appreciate your phone calls on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram buzz line. Yep. 384-1450. We got an action-packed show today. Uh, going to be some special guests, and I and I, I want to preference this. First off, we're, we're going to the, – the Reds are right around the corner. So we know that the uh, – the baseball pitchers and catchers are getting ready to report. And uh, so we're going to have Mo Egger on from Cincinnati ESPN's uh, affiliate. 
to talk a little bit about the Reds and baseball and, and kind of what we can expect from the Reds. And I, <clears throat> Listen, I'm going to be a disgruntled lover, I think, in that whole uh, conversation, but that's okay. You think Mo will begrudge you for that? No, I mean, he has to deal with it day in, day out. Absolutely. And then uh, and then at the end of the show, we're going to have a very special guest, Kelly. You want to tell me who we got coming on? Oh, did I get you? Sorry. Myron Medcalf. Myron Metcalf of ESPN.com, of national ESPN.com, is going to be on our show. And we're going to talk uh, specifically about the NCAA investigation with the Louisville Cardinals. And uh, this is <clears> – I can't say everything right now, Kelly. We can't, we can't leak exactly what we know. But we're hoping that this is a – over the next three, four weeks, we're hoping to give a national perspective from multiple – Outlets. Outlets on the Louisville scandal, including one that no one in the city of Louisville has had yet before. And it's a glaring it's a glaring mishap, I guess, that this that this has not been present. So uh, we're just gonna tease that a little bit. Okay. Now we can't be specific, but we're gonna tease it because we're still working on it, but it looks like it's gonna happen, by the way. And uh our listeners are definitely gonna want to stay tuned in. Now, let me try to translate that, and you give as much as you can. Are you suggesting that out of the entire sports radio landscape in the city of Louisville, that we've got some good connections and we're going to have some good guests when it comes to this self-imposed sanctions topic at the University of Louisville, and that we have uh, arguably some of the more um, knowledgeable and credible insights uh, coming up over the next few weeks? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, this is what happens when you have a a radio program that's independently owned, that's not influenced by the university, that has, uh, you know, you're a U of L fan. I am, I I like the University of Louisville, but I'm a Kentucky fan. And uh, when you have more of a, of a back and forth of people who might have a different scene of opinion, plus we're not controlled by the university, we can actually have the guests that our listeners really need to get to hear from to be fully informed of what's going on. That, I think that's the best way to put it, right? Certainly. And, you know, Myron Metcalf, for example, what I'm going to be asking him uh, relates to a national perspective on what's going on. I feel like we are in the heart of it. Every day we go to work at our name, normal jobs and we talk to our friends who live around here, who have allegiances. He very well may uh, say that Rick Pitino's a dirtbag. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. He's probably not going to because no. Rick is obviously very well respected across the country for his coaching abilities. But, I mean, it, it, it's a very interesting topic because it is so sensational in the sex and the prostitution and everything that goes into it. Um, and I and, don't see nothing wrong. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go on, no, please. No, no. no I, I think it's very interesting to get a national perspective. We're so ingrained in it day in, day out. We're too close to it. UK, U of L, Blue Red, everyone's too close to it, right? I mean, especially in this situation where you've got Rick Patino, who led Kentucky out of Kentucky shame, you know, and then a lot of people, even though he did not go directly from Kentucky to Louisville, there's still a large section of the Kentucky fan base that feels betrayed by Rick Patino because he's coaching at Louisville now. And, and, and really, you know how I feel about that, Kelly? I think it's a testament to how great our state is and how great our area is that Rick just wanted to be back here. 
Sure. That's, and that's honestly how I feel. I mean, I, that he knows – he might not have realized 100% how good he had it the first time. I think he knew he had it really, really good. <laughs> Until he had to deal with the Boston media. <laughs> Until he had to go try to do the NBA, do all that stuff. He's like, you know what, I, I would belong in college, and there's no better place to coach college basketball than the state of Kentucky. You know what's funny is hearing Richard Patino discuss, because that was his childhood, is he went from <laughs> – he went from being literal – I mean, I shouldn't use the word literal. That's the most overused word out there. But basically royalty in Lexington, right? Yeah. I mean, Rick could walk on water as far as he everybody. He could have ran for governor and won. He could have. Easily. Back back then, easily. Back before the Richie Farmer scandal, when we didn't think these, you know, all that stuff was a bad idea, <laughs> easily could have won. They're showing highlights right now of the dunk contest on SportsCenter. And it, I mean, <laughs> if you didn't see the dunk contest last night, I was a little worried about it the way it started off because Andre Drummond and Will Barton were not fantastic. No, and I think Andre Drummond, in one of his rounds, got a raw deal from Steve Nash. Did you see that? Oh, with the kick? Yeah, that yeah. didn't work. No, it didn't work. How mad is Andre Drummond this morning at Steve Nash? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, again, but at the same time, it's like you're, you, you put that prop out there. You know the risk that is associated with it. And it's more about Steve Nash's little soccer ability. soccer kick than it I is would have about taken an actual else. soccer player. I know Steve Nash played soccer growing up, but he's Canadian. Yeah, he had the connection. Got to go with the Canadian, yeah. right? But but I would have. Why not take it? Go for a little international exposure and take uh, David Beckham. Oh, there you go. Right? Yeah. Or what if you would have brought out like uh, somebody from the Maple Leafs, like hit the ball with a hockey stick up or something like that? You that'd be good. That would be can tough. You do that? I don't know. You hit the ball with a hockey stick? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I. I just don't know, really, what was Drummond doing in that dunk contest? Let's be honest. He's I mean, a good dunker. He is, but he's a power dunker. Yeah, it seems he's like they 6'10". always throw someone like that in there. Andre uh, DeAndre Jordan, I think, was in there one year. Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard saw- wanted it you know, that one time. Oh, he dunked Superman. on that 11-foot goal. Remember that? That's right. Yeah. Aaron Gordon. And then with Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard would come out and, and take off and have the Superman on and all that stuff, kind of played it up. Aaron yeah. Gordon is a big guy, but – he did finesse and athletic dunks that were just insane. I mean, Aaron Gordon last night, even though he lost, and he kind of got a raw deal because the dunk he did not get a perfect 50 on was because he had to do what he did so fast that I don't think people really appreciate it. Until yeah, they saw so a lot of those in slow motion, you're like, oh, my God. But he basically took a spin on – the dunk he got didn't get a 50 on that opened the door for Levine to one. He basically went up and did a reverse where he goes all the way down, like, you know, where he pumps it in between his legs. Uh, but what he did before he went down between his legs, he took the ball and put it behind his head and then went down between his legs and still was able to pull it off. My favorite thing about the dunk contest last night, Kelly, did you see it? Yes. You saw it live? Yes. That these Actually, guys- well, I saw some of it live. I rewatched the, the replay, though. I had recorded it. These guys were not like they were hitting their first attempt. They weren't missing, you know. They were really. It was like the old school dunk contest where like you didn't get thirty seconds or three attempts or whatever. Whatever it is, it's like these guys were nailing it on the first try and doing some things that were just incredible. Um, I'm gonna give you a a a piece of. um, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict the future. Okay. If Donovan Mitchell's in the in the NBA, he'll be in the okay. He will win the dunk contest. Win the dunk contest, okay? Because he still has done one dunk that I've that I don't think I've ever seen. Anybody He's do. human highlight reel type stuff. 
He's so I, I'm gonna go with that, and then that's a, that's coming from Kentucky fans. So. I would like to think if he does, in fact, go to the dunk contest, that it is under the the pretense that he is actually averaging 15 points a game or something like that. Because as much as, and I appreciate your positivity regarding it, I feel like a lot of times I end up touting the NBA or boxing, where people say, "No, no, no, it's not what it was." Kelly, settle down. But Aaron Gordon averages 7.7 points a game, six rebounds a game. Okay, right. Now, I don't mean to be throwing shade, but I will. You like that? Well, you're, you're going back to this. This is not Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins. That's what I'm going stars. to, exactly. And I think if we saw, uh, you know, why not see Carmelo Anthony or, or um, the best players? Wouldn't that be the most exciting? Now, aesthetically, last night was a very exciting showing. Well, There's you're not going to get Steph Curry, Duncan. No. You're not going to get – you. not really – James Harden's not like a flashy dunker. Nope. So who – who out of the stars right now? Russell be, Westbrook. Okay, Westbrook would be a great addition. <laughs> God. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't consider him an elite star. So, uh, really, I, I, he's not a winner. He's okay. Carmelo well, Anthony. Regardless, he's much more. I mean, he averages twenty. What's yes. This? Okay. But in the same way that Brian talks about Carmelo Anthony, that's how I feel about Russell Westbrook. I agree with you, but physically. Um, and, and, you know, as far as his um, – I mean, you could make arguments like that about a lot of guys. Dominique Wilkins, you could have said similar things to, right? Yeah, uh, yes. I mean, let's not be all nostalgic. No, you're right. I mean, he had good teams, but, I mean, I think when I go back and look at that, it wasn't that Dominique couldn't win as much as that competition was so much better back then than it is now. It's not even funny. Dominique so. is regarded as a great, but Russell Westbrook may, may end up going down as a great also. Yeah, he, I mean, he could. For sure. What about uh? So, what other stars would you have liked to see see in the in the dunk contest? Demar Derozan. Okay, sure. Would you put that guy in there? Maybe. I can't uh, think to be honest. I'd have to do a little bit of research, but I know that that I, these are not the guys. Zach Levine, um, Aaron Gordon. No, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not. You know, what, how good was Harold Miner when he was in the? Dunk that's contest? true. How yeah. good was? Uh, well, Isaiah Ryder was decent, I guess. You know, uh, it's not on you. Brent Barry wasn't a great, great NBA player, you know, but he was a white guy that could dunk. And so, you know, I it's last night was about what, exactly what it was. I mean, to be able to do some of the things those guys could do was incredible. But I don't disagree with you in the sense that to to really be at that elite level, we need to have a Dominique Michael Jordan kind of matchup where they're stars and can do things that no one else can do. So. Are we uh, are we ready for our, our first guest? I believe we are. We have our man Mo Egger of ESPN 1530 out of Cincinnati on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram buzz line with us. Mo, we appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, guys. What's going on? Uh, <clears throat> we're really excited to have you on. I'm, I'm, I was telling Kelly, I, my, um, I'm, I'm kind of like a jilted lover. Uh, Kelly and I are both, you know, <laughs> big times Reds fans and... Uh, you know, I think last year I anticipated with, with the Reds hosting the All-Star game that they were going to make a, a serious run at trying to contend. And that offseason before last year kind of let us down. And I'm going to go back and, and I, to all the way where the Reds get rid of Dusty Baker with no real contingency plan on who they're going to bring in, and they sign Homer Bailey to an awful contract that I think every Reds fan moaned about the second he signed that contract. And what kind of 
patience should we have with this front office, given those two things and kind of how you – know, I feel like they kind of let us down this last year. Well, it, you know, I didn't share your optimism going into last season because, uh, you know, I think the writing was on the wall when they traded Matt Latos and Alfredo Simon. Uh, when you trade 40% of your starting staff, which was their strength in 2014, that doesn't – you know, that doesn't send a signal that they're really going to go for it. And and obviously they did last year. You know, I I think you can go back, if you want to go back to, to when they let Dusty Baker go, they scapegoated him. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember at the time a lot of us said, look, if, if the idea is to just replace the manager and not do anything with the roster, well, that's going to be a problem. And as it turned out, that's really all they did is let Dusty Baker go. And since then, you know, obviously they've done some, some dismantling. I, I, I think... You know, patience is, is something they're going to have to have. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if this front office has learned some lessons, you know, uh, lessons learned from hanging on the players longer than they should have, uh, lessons learned from spending money that I don't want to say they didn't have, but that they spent rather irresponsibly. I think they've made a lot of decisions based on emotion. Uh, the Joey Votto deal was based on emotion. Uh, the Brandon Phillips deal was based on emotion. The the unwillingness to move Johnny Cueto and Aroldis Chapman, and maybe even Todd Frazier when they could have gotten more for those guys, to me was was based on emotion. And I think, you know, now uh, that we've seen what's happened over the last two seasons, and you see a team that this year something could, could lose a hundred games, I I think it's going to be interesting to see if if the front office, and I think it starts with the owner. I think it's going to be interesting to see if the front office can uh, move forward without making rash, emotional decisions and, and maybe goes about their business in a little bit more prudent manner. Now, Mo, the Reds have traded away some of their talent. What are some of the names we can look forward to contributing that we've recently acquired? Well, I think the biggest name is Jose Peraza, who they got for Todd Frazier. Um, last year, ESPN's Keith Law had him as a top 30 prospect in, in baseball. Now he does not. Um, but he is, I think, the centerpiece of, of what they did this offseason. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they balance his playing time when and if he gets to Cincinnati because there are some who say, who say, there are some who say oh, he's best suited at shortstop. Um, you can put him in the outfield, but it seems to me like their plan ultimately for him is to play second base. Well, they have a second baseman in Brandon Phillips who they tried to trade, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see the way they handle his playing time. Uh, you're going to hear the name Scott Shebler. Scott Shebler was acquired in that deal as well. He is right now probably the odds-on favorite to be the opening day left fielder because that job is going to be wide open in, in this playing. And then you're going to see a lot of arms. You know, they traded Johnny Cueto for three pitchers, John Land, Brandon Finnegan, and, and Cody Reed. And there's a lot of people who really, really like Cody Reed. Uh, you're going to see... In Cincinnati, guys that you've seen in Louisville, you know, Robert Stevenson's expected to pitch in 2016. So, um, you know, I, you're, it's, going to be, it's going to be rough. This is going to be a real growing pains type of season, but uh, what they did to the organization I thought was necessary, and now that they've, I don't want to say they're done trading because I think they still have some moves they want to make, you'll, you'll start to see some of the guys that they've gotten in return, and I think there's something kind of exciting about that. So, so here in Louisville, it's it's not been good baseball for the last couple of years either, and that's I think as a Reds fan, when it's not going well in Cincinnati and it's not going well in Louisville, you're like, oh man, I mean we're in for for the long haul. <laughs> and then you get rid of Todd Frazier, who you like if you if you're gonna have a team in the next three years, you think you keep Frazier to build around. 
And and now, you know, are with all these young guys they brought in, are are they all going to be like shoved into the major league roster right away? Or are we going to have something to look forward to down here in Louisville? Well, I don't think you know. I don't think they'll just shove everybody to the major leagues right away. I, you know, I, th- I think you'll see Cody Reed this year uh, in Louisville. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that you'll you'll see them rush guys to the major leagues and 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 promote them simply for the sake of promoting them. But you know, a lot of people here have have kind of made the comparison between what the Houston Astros did and and and, and gutting their team, and you know, and they lost a hundred games, I think, three consecutive years. It's really not a fair comparison because what the Astros did is they traded their veteran players for young players and then in some cases flipped those young players for even younger players. And they stocked guys in the minor leagues and then kind of brought a bunch of them all up together. The Reds aren't going to do that. I think you're going to see some staggering where you see some guys begin the season uh, here in Cincinnati. Um, I think you'll see some guys get promoted during the course of the year. I think the other thing you're going to see them try to do is continue to add prospects. Uh, I think if Jay Bruce has a quality year, there's a chance they trade him this this summer. He has a team option for 2017. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they revisited potentially trading Jay, uh, Jay, uh, Brandon Phillips. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they look at maybe Devin Mezzarocco and, 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 and try to move him as, as unfathomable as, as that might sound. So they're... They're not done. They're not done adding to the pipeline. This is also a very important year for them because they have the number two overall pick. Um, and this is not a draft where I talked to, to somebody on Friday. I said, is this a good year to have the number two overall pick? And they said, no. At the same time, when you have the number two overall pick, you've got to hit with that guy. You've got to, you've got to you know, you've, you can't swing and miss there. And obviously that's not somebody who's going to help them in the short term. But that's a, a, a chance to grab somebody who could be uh, a very impactful player down the road. So, yeah, this, this year is going to be all about uh, what they bring in. In terms of what's at Louisville, you know, I think you'll, you'll see some guys who uh, are new to the organization. And uh, if they do the job at Louisville, they'll obviously be in Cincinnati. By the way, if you're in Louisville, that second pick could be Louisville outfitter Corey Ray. I, don't, that's, I mean, I think that would be into play at some point. Although they're probably going to go with one of the young high school pitchers or the or the uh, the kid from Florida, um, AJ Punk. But the overall, the Reds. I f- go go ahead, Kelly. Let me collect my thought here. Sure. You know, uh, Mo, we look into the NFL draft projections, and I know you cover the Bengals so closely. And year in year out, we are looking to address needs in the NFL draft. In the, when it comes to Major League Baseball, does having the number two pick, is that just completely different? Or, or are we just going absolute best place, uh, best player available? Or are there certain positions we're trying to address with that number two overall pick? Well, you know, I don't know that you could own it on, on, on one draft choice. They have to get better at, at the, in the field. They have to get better organizationally. Their strength is a pretty enviable group of, of young arms. Uh, what they don't have are infielders, outfielders, really in the pipeline. Um, you know, Jesse Winker's obviously an exception. Uh, Tyler Stevenson, who's the catcher they drafted last year, they're really excited about him. But I just think, in, in terms of, of of the draft, they need to start doing what they did last decade when they drafted players like Joey Votto and Drew Stubbs and Jay Bruce and and, and even Homer Bailey. They, they really did, Devin Mezzarocco, Todd Frazier, I mean, they really did well drafting. Um, and that was the core of their team. That's what the core of this team is going to have to be. It's going to have to be draft, develop, 
uh, and then get the most out of it at the major league level. So I, you know, I, I think when you have the number two overall pick, you're always going to just take the best player. But I think in in terms of what they need to do this summer, and what they're doing right now is they've, they've got to add position players because it's it's been you know pretty barren over the last couple of seasons uh, you know, throughout the organization. Now, Mo, we're obviously baseball fans. We appreciate you coming on to talk baseball and specifically the Cincinnati Reds. If we're trying to get excitement strummed up for us to be interested in the MLB season despite us being Reds fans, <laughs> what kind of storylines <laughs> intrigue you out there this year? Well, I think the most interesting thing is the National League Central uh, because you know, what the Chicago Cubs are doing, it seemed to me like they kind of arrived a year early. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are still the St. Louis Cardinals, and I think the Pittsburgh Pirates still have a chance to be pretty good. I think the, the, the top of, of that division is really, really interesting to watch. I'm interested to see what Dusty Baker can do with the Washington Nationals because, you know, obviously they've kind of underachieved over the last few years. Uh, in a division where outside of the Mets, nobody necessarily seems like a, a real serious contender. I also think, you know, there's there's a bunch of teams and they just happen to be sort of concentrated in the National League, whether it's Atlanta, Philadelphia, Colorado, the Reds, uh, Milwaukee, that go into the season having no chance. And there's lots of talk of, of what baseball can do to keep teams from tanking. I don't think the Reds are necessarily tanking. But that word is out there. Are there going to be concrete solutions to whatever perceived tanking problem there is? I think that's that's certainly going to be worth following uh, off the field. Uh, the parity in baseball, which we talk about the NFL having so much parity all the time, I think there's a lot more parity in, in Major League Baseball right now. The added playoff team has, has had something to do with that. Um, and, and so, you know, how that affects the trade market in the middle of the summer is, is interesting. And just the number of teams that go into the year thinking that they can get to October, and if you can get to October, obviously you've got a shot. So, you know, organizationally, you mentioned not only are the Reds not going to be very good this year, but then we have to sit here and watch the Cardinals and the Cubs be good, which is like <laughs> just – Kicking us in the balls. Um, you know, and organizationally, I think another frustration of a Reds fan is, is you see the Cardinals, and no matter who they get rid of or bring in or whatever, every single one of these guys can situationally hit. And we struggled for so many years to be able to do the small ball baseball things right, and then at the top of the lineup, or the guy who should be at the top of the lineup, is a guy who strikes out more than he walks, and his on-base percentage is in the low 200s when it needs to be over 300. So where, what can we expect out of Billy Hamilton? Are we going to see him make the next step and become, you know, I don't even think he has to be a, a, an unbelievable hitter, but he has to be definitely better at, at taking pitches and, and, and understanding how pitchers work. Are we going to see him more prepared this year? Uh, I hope so. Look, I don't think there's a guy who – who goes into 2016 with more to prove on this team than, than Billy Hamilton. He's got more than a thousand major league plate appearances under his belt. He's, um, he's marvelous defensively. We know what he can do with his legs when he's on the bases, but you can't start a guy who gets on base less than 60. Well, I'm sorry, has an OPS of, of less than 600 and gets on base less than 30% of the time. You just can't do it. Uh, he is by many, by many measurements, the worst hitter, in Major League Baseball. Um, he hit him, Brian Price hit him ninth last year. <laughs> That's not where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the guy at the top of the order setting the table. And if it doesn't happen this year, 
knowing that he's going to go into his arbitration years four, five, and six at, at the end of the season, I think it's it's I think they're going to be kind of at a crossroads with him. Um, I think this is a really, really important year for him. And no, they don't need him to get on base forty percent of the time, although that would be great. But they need him to hit at a reasonably competent level, and that just hasn't happened. Um, he really hasn't added the bunt to his game to the extent that we thought he was. Um, he looks often overwhelmed at the plate. He is useless when he's behind in the count. Um, you know, he's obviously not going to overwhelm you with his power. He hits the ball in the air way too much. I mean, there's he's there's, not a, there's not a guy that's got more to prove this season than Billy Hampton. And, of course, if he gets on base, there's nobody who's more dangerous than Billy Hamilton. I mean, and, I, and, and to, your cre- to his credit, I mean, you brought up the point about him being a fielder. I, I'm sure a lot of that getting ready for the major level was making the transition from shortstop to outfielder, which in Louisville, when he was trying to make that transition, looked like it was going to be a, a, a journey, let's put it that way. And he has really done a good job on that front. So he's shown the ability that he's willing to put in the time to make the adjustments. Uh, you know, and hopefully he does it on the hitting side too. It's going to have to, um, because they're just not going to be able to play a center fielder that hits eighth or ninth. That's just that's just not where they're going to be. They and and if you look at if you look at where they're most likely to get production from a leadoff spot on this team, it's going to have to be the center field position, right? It's not going to be Brandon Phillips. It could be Jose Peraza down the road. It's not going to be Zach Cozart. It's obviously not going to be uh, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, Devin Mezzarco. It's it's supposed to come from the leadoff spot, and that that that's supposed to come from Billy Hamilton. And if it's not him, then they're going to have to figure out moving forward who that guy can be. Mo, we really appreciate you coming on. I know it's a little painful to have the reason for coming on a show specifically to talk about the Reds this upcoming year. Um, I will shift a little bit before we let you go and talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, um, despite a. a anticlimactic end to the season. Um, there should be reason for promise going forward. What do you see out of this Bengals team next year, and is Marvin Lewis warranted to keep his job? Uh, I didn't hear the second part of your question. What was that again? Sorry. Is Marvin Lewis, is, is it warranted that Marvin Lewis is still the Bengals coach? Well, uh, the first part of your question, you know, I, I think they're, they're still one of the teams in the AFC that matters. They're, they have a good quarterback situation. Um, you know, they still have two of the better weapons in the NFL. It's a really huge year, huge offseason for Jeremy Hill. Um, they're going to have some questions in the secondary just because of, of some potential free agent losses. They've got some decisions to make in free agency. They're probably going to lose Marvin Jones. They may lose Muhammad Sanu. So they've, they, like everybody else, have some decisions here in free agency. I, this, the way they lost that playoff game is, is really the first time that I've thought, okay, it, it, might, it might really seriously be time to make a coaching change. And I, I respect the heck out of a lot of the things that Marvin Lewis has done here, but um, it's just interesting to me that his first and last playoff appearances as Bengals head coach saw his team emotionally melt down. That happened in 2005 when they lost to the Steelers. Whatever happened in the locker room during that game, during the halftime of that game, they had a lead, they melted down. Then, obviously, we saw what happened about a month ago against the Steelers, they melted down. The common denominator is the head coach, and if you're going to move forward with players like Vontez Perfect and, and Adam Jones, if they keep him, then, to me, the onus is on the coach to get those guys to control themselves. Uh, I threw a lot of the responsibility for what happened against Pittsburgh at Marvin Lewis, and I'm typically have not been a... 
you know, fire the coach because he loses playoff games kind of guy. But I think it's fair to wonder if you can win with him and those types of players. Uh, and until he does, I think we're always going to wonder that. I think it's, it's going to be this year is kind of intriguing because, you know, when, when Hugh Jackson got away to go coach the Cleveland Browns, there was talk of him being offered a succession plan, meaning he would be the head coach after Marvin left. Does that mean he wants to step down at the end of the season? Does that mean they've reached a mutual decision for him to not be the head coach at the end of this year? Now that Hugh Jackson is gone, does do the Bengals keep Marvin Lewis after next year no matter what? I think all that's going to be pretty interesting. But uh, I think it's very fair to hold him responsible for what happened against the Steelers. And if after seven postseason defeats without a win, um, and a lot of really good stuff as well. I, I think it's it's fair to to wonder if if maybe it's time for for somebody else to try to get him over the hump. Mo, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you so much for for getting up, being on the show with us. We look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you very much, Mo. All right, anytime, guys. Thanks. Great stuff there. Reds pitchers, the Reds pitchers and catchers report on Thursday. So and then the position players come in on the twenty third of February. So baseball's right around the corner. Really is. I love Mo. I love having him on. Well, M- most uh, receptive, nicest guy that that I, I think we have recurring each year. He's just just easy to deal with. And he's basically my psychologist there. He's my psychiatrist. He let me sit on. the He couch. was very rational. You know what's funny about Mo is that he's um, he's funny. Yeah. He his his takes all there were were very pragmatic, right? But I mean, I've seen a, like a video of him doing a mock tryout for the Bengals and him talking himself up as a possession receiver. And I mean, he's a funny guy. He's got some funny, funny bits that I've seen out of him um, over the years. But he's he's a, a, a character. I like Mo. I like everything he said there. It's tough to argue with, right? Well, I, yeah. I mean, I still know that I'm gonna have to find another team, an American League team to kind of root for this year to kind of keep baseball interesting. I'm gonna be a Reds fans first. All the whole year through, you know, maybe that's the Houston Astros. He mentioned how tough the National the National League Central is going to be this year. You know, you throw the Astros in there who were just in the National League Central not too long ago. I mean, uh, they're going to be good again, and uh, could be this year's Kansas City Royals. The Houston Astros could be. So we'll have to kind of wait and see how that how that unfolds. I, I'm excited about baseball. I know baseball. Are you? Oh yeah. I mean, I, was that sarcasm? Be. No, I am because it's baseball. I there's nothing I enjoy more. Really, if you actually get into it at its core, baseball is like the first sport I think I fell in love with. Absolutely, and I know it was for me. Yeah, and uh, as much of a basketball junkie I am, there's just something about baseball that um, I really just really enjoy. You know, especially going to live, but I I like watching it on TV, which I know no one else does, <laughs> and I love listening to it on the radio. I like so. list- watching it on TV too, and that I can have something going on. I'm cooking dinner, you know, right? Um, and you got the game going. You get to hear Marty and uh, no, I'm sorry, not Marty and Joe, but well, Marty and whoever he's got, he could have the cowboy with him. Yeah, yeah, Mar- uh, could Jeff have, Brantley. Could have, his, um, could have Jim Kelch. Could have uh, his son. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, he's they kind of rotate there. So the guy who played for Kentucky, what's his name? Guy oh, who um, Jim Day. The guy who played football for Kentucky. Yeah, that's it's, what I mean. It's an Italian last Day? name. It's not, it's not Jim Day. Jim Day does the pregame and postgame show. It's uh, man, I'm totally blank. He does Kentucky football too. He does with with Tom Leach. He's good. Yeah. He's a, a good. They've got a nice cast of characters there on Fox Sports North. Um, I I think the Reds are great. They're great for the city. Since you know the the across the Major League Baseball, it's just such a great sport. Um, it's difficult to, to get behind it, though, when you're, you're projected to have such a bad team. And I'll be honest, 
I'm a sports fan all across the board. If the Reds are not doing good, they're not in the playoff race. You're not going to watch? I, I'm not saying I boycott, but I, I try to watch. I talk to my brother. I, my brother follows him regardless, which is I think is respectable. Is that odd that I find that so respectable? That you find uh, the well, Reds are respectable? That I find someone who follows a baseball, a, a baseball team. Well, thanks, Kelly. Even though they're out of, even though they're out of the the uh, playoff hunt, that I, I find I hold that in such high esteem. So many things I do not care about the moral side of things, but someone who does that, I trust him with my kids. Yeah. Okay. I guess because it kind of ties it in with old timey kind of. Yeah, like, I don't know. It, something about that, maybe nostalgia or whatever yeah. it is. But that, that's just something that the, the way what, that I see it. If we could go back to like the '30s, and I'd I'd put on a tie and go watch a baseball game. If I could smoke a cigar in the stands, I mean that would be it. I'd be, I would be there. I right now, red season ticket holder, just smoking cigars, sitting in the in the in the stands watching baseball. All no matter how good or bad they were. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you want to head to a break? Yeah. Yeah. Great interview there by Mo, our man Mo Egger, just popping in on us. We appreciate it. Be sure to stay tuned. Mike and I will be back with more of the weekend sports buzz. You're on 1450 WXVW. What make the difference? What make the difference? Let me tell you, baby. What does it mean to me? Let me tell you, baby. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz here on 1450 WXVW. You want to call and join the show, the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram buzz line is 502-384-1450. Kelly, I don't know which uh, which favorite bracketology site you like. I, I normally default. Uh, I'll go with the generic answer of I default to our man Joe Lenardi, right? So, because he, over the years, let's be honest, right before the tournament time, he does have amazing accuracy. He has amazing accuracy as far as the teams, I think, that, that get selected. Although I don't think he's been as good. Lately, as he is, as he was, at, you know, before it became cool to have bracketology, I guess. Um, he's obviously, though, devastated that Louisville is out of the, uh, you know, that Louisville is self imposed and is not going to be able to be in the tournament because he has not updated his bracketology since February 1st. So, two weeks. Is, is that excusable for an outfit like ESPN, who basically has Joe Lenardi on staff for one reason and one reason only? To not update bracketology, at least after the weekend games. It's in the midst of conference play, and I assume Joe Lenardi's been on vacation. Yeah, because this is a, Maybe in the a great time for him to go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go to Jerry Palm. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports. We're going to go to his bracketology. That was just updated this morning. Do you opt for Palm over, over Lenardi? I usually go to Lenardi first. You know, I would say that. and then, uh, But I go to Ken Palm ratings. I'm a, I'm a Ken Palm guy. And so I wanted to kind of look at the number one seeds that Jerry Palm has going right now and, and kind of look at it versus the top four maybe in, in the Ken Palm rankings. And I'm going to go from the – you know, we can't look at it from the standpoint of a Louisville fan because they're not in the tournament. Wait but, a second. Does Lenardi still have Louisville in the tournament? Yes, Lenardi still has well, Louisville. Well, let's not, let's not say Louisville's not in it. <laughs> Lenardi knows he has historical accuracy that we have to contend <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, I think I think it's safe to say that uh, it's no, not. I don't know. I don't year. know. Lenardi has inside scoop. Damian Lee is not going to be able to shoot four for twenty-seven in the NCAA tournament. So, um, so if we look at this at this thing, and, and just let me know if you're a Kentucky fan. Come, can you can you look at this from a Kentucky fan's point of view and give me how you would feel as a Kentucky fan? 
uh, on this next kind of question, Kelly. Can you tell me how you would feel? Uh, would you be scared as a Kentucky fan of playing Villanova, Shh. Virginia, God. Iowa, or Michigan State? Oh, are you asking which would scare me the most? Yeah, uh, I'd be scared. Virginia of would scare me the most, actually, for a Kentucky fan. By Virginia, I mean, with the taste that Louisville fans have in their mouth from Tony Bennett and that Virginia team beating the hell out of the carts at the Yum Center. I mean, they're a well-oiled machine, sure. But any of those teams you missed, you mentioned, are, are scary, right? Well, no, they're all beatable. I think they're all beatable by Kentucky. Oh, okay, all beatable. Yes, and like I wouldn't even like. But 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 I mean, th- those are some of the best teams across the country. But none of them are. So, it's so good that it, it concerns me. Like like if we played them, for example, that that was the top four in Kim Palm. The top oh. four seeds. Oh, okay. The top four seeds Jerry Palm has right now: Kansas as the overall number one seed. Which right now, given how we played them at their place in a hostile environment, I'll take our chances on a neutral floor. Oklahoma, Villanova, and Iowa. Put us in a, as a four seed in any one of those brackets. You're very, what would it be, bearish? I'm sorry, bullish on this Kentucky team, aren't you? I, Is it because the expectations are, are perceived to be so low? I think I'm more bearish on the top level of of NCAA basketball. Regardless, that that's all irrelevant. The year that that Louisville won the national championship, you could say that the talent level across the country and was the, down. Was down. That, I think that's your mirrors that year. That does not matter though. Yeah. You admit that, right? It it does not matter. What matters is hanging you know, banners in the rafters, right? Right. I will still count yep. it as one as number 9. You you can say to me all the you know, all you want. Well, 2013, ha. The the talent in the the level of competitive uh, competition across the country was lower than average. And as a Louisville fan, I say, I don't care. I love Luke Hancock and Gorgie Jing and that team and Russ Smith and Peyton Siva just as much as I ever would. you got to win a title. That's what matters is hanging banners. Absolutely what matters. And you think this Kentucky team can do it this year. That's what I'm asking. Well, absolutely. And and, and, and Palm, I, I think they can get to the Final Four for sure. Palm has them as a five seed. Okay. Now tell me how uh, Dayton Dayton's the four seed, and you had to play a five seed Kentucky. Okay. okay. Kansas is the one seed, and that and Palm has them in the bracket that would have them playing in the Yum Center. How if you were the number one overall seed Kansas, and you were put into the Louisville bracket, and you had to play Kentucky in the Sweet Sixteen in the Louisville bracket as the number one overall seed, how mad would you be if you were Bill Self? Sure. I mean, you'd be furious, right? Yeah. Nobody wants you. Do not right, want that right. with, that, with that much talent, you know, and, and, and assuming that they progress, continue to progress, and you have Tyler Eulis and Murray and all those. I mean, even guys like Briscoe or you know, a as, lot of those guys are just talented. As much of a home game as you can have in, in the NCAA tournament, though, correct? In the regional, yes. you cannot have more of a home game. Correct. Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram Buzzline is 502-384-1450. We're going to head to the Buzzline now. We've got a caller on the line with us. We have Michael. How are you doing this morning, Michael? Oh, I'm doing fine. Uh, is this Brian I'm speaking with? Uh, this, is, this is Kelly. we got Kelly. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Kelly. I'm sorry. Hey, uh, um, I did call in to, to uh, just kid about Brian, the guy you had in the first hour. I, I kept hearing him talk about trade. Uh, uh, Trey Lewis or whatever, man, and I didn't really get the take on how he felt about him. No, I'm just kidding. No, me and my son watched the game, and we we say the exact same thing. Why isn't Dallas Mitchell playing more? But uh, I understand, you know, Rick's kind of dedicated to the older players. But anyway, I, I like Donald Mitchell. I don't know how Louisville lost their game yesterday, man. I mean, how did he get away from him, man? And 
Oh man! But when you I mean, it was exciting. They, like they, they, they had control of it, and then then it just got away. I don't know. When you only have four field goals uh, in fifteen minutes, it's gonna you're not gonna win a whole lot of games. And that's how they finished the game. Uh, they only had four field goals in the last fifteen minutes of that game. Is that right? Yeah. Oh my God! No wonder. Okay, uh, and I want to switch over to Kentucky. I'm a fan of both schools, really, Loveland, Kentucky. And, uh, I, I, you know, to say Kentucky played good is an understatement, man. I really liked the way they played. But one thing I liked about Kenny Payne, man, I liked the way he injected certain players in. He didn't, you know, that's how you lose a, a lot of times. You lose the leads when you, you know, overhaul, you know, substitutions. But I'm not complaining against Cal, don't get me wrong. But I just, I really enjoyed the game yesterday, man. And to ask Marcus Lee to play that good every game, I don't think it's going to happen. But if he give half the effort, man, so. Looking forward to watching both teams, man. Unfortunately for Louisville, but hey, thanks, fellas. Thank All you right. very much for the call. Great stuff there, and one of the rare, almost an oddity in the. Uh, do you know where I'm going with this? And that Michael seems like he's legitimately likes both teams. Yeah, yeah. Is that an oddity, or am I blowing that out of proportion? Well, I mean, I would tell you that most weekends I'm cheering for both UK and U of L. Okay. I was not this weekend because I because obviously U of L played Notre Dame. Yeah, and that's the only team that I would probably. Uh, root ahead, and, and uh, but you know, overall, yeah, I think it is a little bit of an oddity to, to be truly he, he, he made legitimate, he was right on the uh, you know, Brian in the first hour, yep, was real anti Trey Lewis, and, and, and Michael said that he, he and his son uh, echoed that sentiment. I don't think that's that difficult to argue with, no, in, I, in that Donovan Mitchell should be playing. Uh, he had 18 minutes, Trey Lewis had 25. I wouldn't mind if if Mitchell had 33 minutes. And Lewis had whatever the differential that would be there. He's still trying to mold Donovan to what he wants him to be, though. That's the whole reason behind it. It has nothing to do with the uh, effectiveness the of him on the court. It has nothing to do with the loyalty to Trey Lewis and the older players as much as it has to make sure that he teaches Donovan whatever lesson he's trying to teach Donovan right now. And the only way to do that is with playing time, to mold him into what he wants him to be for next year because who has to be the dominant scorer and the dominant offensive production player on that team next year. Yeah, I said it earlier. It's yeah, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell's got to take the most field goals, have the most uh, field goals attempted next year. There's no question about it. Unless Shinanu's going to all of a sudden just start. But he wouldn't even – that wouldn't happen. Yeah, I got insight on that. It doesn't look like Nanu's coming back. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's all right, though. I mean, we'd be better off if – the cards would be better off if they, they were able to keep him. But you have Anas Mahmoud, Race Balding, Matt Stockman. I don't personally – what do you think of Jalen Johnson's future? It's a make or break year for him to kind of get his stuff together. When? Next um, year? Or? I mean, this summer. I mean, I, I still think to he's – To transfer? Do you think he's overweight still? I don't know that he's – well, maybe a little. I don't know that he's specifically overweight as much as that genetically his body structure is just not uh, a good fit for – I don't a, think – A good fit for the Rick system. His mom moved here from, okay. from Ypsilanti. Uh, not that they couldn't pack up and move again if they wanted to. Um, but why does he? Why does he start? Race Balding and Asma Mood seem like such better fits for this team on defense in particular. And Rick Love, actually, on offense too. What does Jalen Johnson bring to the table? I, I think that's a great point. I, I, what I, you know, I don't know if it's just hoping that he becomes the player that everyone thought he. Could I admit, become. physically, he looks kind of like he'd be an NBA type player, right? Oh yeah. He he moves like an NBA veteran. He's got the big body, and maybe Rick sees something. Rick knows a lot more about progression of of basketball uh, than I do. Maybe he sees some uh, NBA potential. I mean, he reminds me of Kurt Thomas right before Kurt Thomas retired, <laughs> after 19 years in the NBA. 
I could understand your frustration with playing Jalen Johnson. Okay, now I don't mean to harp on him in particular, but but it just seems to me that the, the front court of Louisville is in good hands going forward. I think that scoring will be their problem next year. Uh, it could be. I mean, I think you actually could be pretty good scoring the ball next year. You're going to be a lot more balanced, and that's for sure. I, and overall, but is balance what what led Louisville to the title in 2013 scoring wise? I guess, but but Russ yeah. Smith and Luke Hancock were the guys who scored. Yeah, but you still had you know Peyton was a Peyton capable. was offensively. He was a capable scorer when he needed to be. He Quentin Snyder has definitely the ability, the opportunity to be as much of a scorer, if not more of a scorer, than Peyton Peyton Siva was. Sure, he's not the off or he's not the defensive athlete that Peyton was. You're going to be able to see. I think Ding steps up. You got VJ King coming in, who's a scorer. Why is everybody so high on Ding Adele? I think he's got a lot of tools. Brian was talking the entire first hour about how he thinks Dingadell is such a big. You know, he, he's playing the way he's playing this year, though. After battling injuries, and and when he and he came off injury and made an immediate impact right away, and he can score both inside and out. He's got great length. He's got great athleticism. Um, you know, I. I think you should be high on Dingadell. Okay. For some reason, he just hasn't shown me that. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is on one polar extreme of the spectrum when it comes to intensity and aggression on the court, right? Absolutely. He's the epitome of what you ask for when you when you ask for a guy who's going to go out there, bust his butt, and be aggressive, right? I would think so, yes. I'd put Donovan – I'm sorry, I'd put uh, Dingadell like, Right at the middle. But don't you have to have a mix of those guys? Don't you need to have that cool and steady guy on the wing if you're going to have the – yeah, maybe. I mean, Luke Hancock wasn't volatile. I mean, and Russ was. True. I mean, if you're going to go with well, that I see. I see. Okay. And you're right. Remember, God, that's an interesting case study in Luke Hancock. Remember how low? All right. First off, how high everyone uh, was on Luke the year that he sat out. Okay. And how Rick always talked about how he's the best player on the team. Right? Right. Then he comes in and he just has, just shooting like 20% from the field. Like Mark, Mike Marabad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's shade there, but yes. What are you talking about? Yeah, and, and and Luke Hancock just was everybody was all over him about he can't shoot the three, he's not an offensive weapon, he's slow, and then he just goes on to just have this absolutely amazing streak of, of heat and right when you need him most. So okay, maybe Dingadale has a little more. Here's the thing I want Luke to know Hancock. from a Louisville fan perspective, since this year doesn't matter, and you've got to move on to next year. And maybe we can, we can ask these questions now and then get to them more at the other side of the break because we're up against the top of the hour. Question number one would be, you can't be highly excited about having another fifth-year player coming in who's nowhere near as good as these two guys and has had major issues everywhere he's been. That is interesting. Um, picks. Major issues, like drug issues. What's that mean? Is it marijuana? No. Really? So then you go, and this year ends, okay? You've got all those guys we just talked about. They're going to have to make a decision on their future at the University of Louisville without having all of the necessary information from the NCAA on what they can expect. Does the fear that Louisville's punishment might not be enough cause someone like Donovan Mitchell or and or Dingadell or anyone, especially the guys that don't have a local tie, 
to just pack up and leave and go somewhere else. That I, I, I do not know. Uh, you know, that's a, a, an interesting question. Um, did it happen at Syracuse? I can't. I don't think so. But I do remember it did happen at Kentucky when when Kentucky shame, uh, you know, came out. You know, Kentucky had their guys, and then they had almost everyone else just take off and leave and go to, to somewhere else. When you say Kentucky shame, are you specifically referencing the Sports Illustrated? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I was hoping you were just talking about an entire era. No, I, you know, and that's the other amazing thing about this whole about this whole thing that we don't talk about. It's you know how. Loyal fans have this perception of how dirty Cal is, but yet, and, and Cal's had these two banners taken down, and he's obviously at fault, although the NCAA said that he was not named in either one of the investigations or ever found to be guilty of anything. But you know, when it happens with Rick Patino, it's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely, you know. Well, Rick was not named as being someone who knew about any of this going on either. But there, there is this, okay? We, and we don't have to go down this, this, this path if we don't want to. There is this. There is absolutely no way a Louisville fan going forward can talk shade about how dirty Cal is until yes. he's busted. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I mean, Rick and Cal both operate in a way um, that, that is successful when it comes to college basketball. That's the end of the story. Let's not get carried away with anything else. I would agree. Okay, but <laughs> they're they're both. We can't get carried away with anything else now that because now Rick Pitino's under fire. If if it was Cal, you know, then would be like, oh, we knew this all the well, time. Well, I'm gonna adapt. Some, I'm gonna adapt the rules to how things go for my just fa- to, my favor. Just fa- to in help my favor. you out a little bit, right yeah, there. Yeah, in my favor. Yeah, I I understand that completely because that's pretty much how the Louisville fan base goes. Oh so. my God, come on! All right, we're gonna head to a break. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We got an entire hour ahead of us. Myron Medcalf of ESPN, college basketball correspondent. See him on SportsCenter all the time. He'll be with us uh, at 1140 this morning. Be sure to stay tuned. We'll be back with more of the weekend sports buzz. All right, welcome back to the second hour. Actually, I guess the way we're doing it now, it's not really the second hour anymore. Extended it, version the extend- uh, this week, so third hour. Third hour of the uh, the weekend sports buzz here on 1450 WXVW. We were talking a little college basketball before we got on the uh, hit the break. And uh, if you want to call into the show, the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram hotline is 384-1450. We'd love to hear your take on... And, and this is the the question, Kelly. We can go back to the Louisville thing, but I think we want to wait that till we get closer to Myron coming on at the end of the, at the end of the hour. Right now, if you could pick five teams in college basketball that you would pick to choose to win the national title, who would you pick? <laughs> I, I just don't know. You could pick five teams. Well, I mean, number one, it's got. I mean, you just look up and down the rankings, right? Well, I, no, I think that's a mistake because right now Villanova's number one, and I don't think they. You don't think they can? Has Jay Wright even ever gotten oh, okay. to so the Okay, so you're Final talking. Four? That's what you're talking. Okay. Do you think Maryland with uh, Rashid Suleiman and the transfers and the other talent they have? I would and Melo Trimble, and I I would say I would put them in my five. Yes. Okay. Oklahoma, with Buddy Heald. I don't know because the the two losses to Kansas and just like, I, 
you know, they've they've done well, but how good is you know, we've talked all the time about how good is the Big Twelve and some people think it's the best conference in college basketball and our general sentiment on this show has been that it might be a little bit overrated. You know, I, it's hard for me. I think Oklahoma would be on my bubble of that five. Okay. What about, like, North Carolina? So, if we're talking about history and what coaches have done and, and stuff like that. and you know That all I'm, factors in, does it not? Well, historically. Yeah. I mean, Historically, yes, it does. Right? So, you got to put North Carolina in the conversation. Yeah, but all right. So here's what I'll say about that. Is this some inside scoop you're going to drop on us? No, no, they're not going to self-impose. Although okay. that's debatable whether they should or not. Um, Roy's Roy's national championships have been with teams that have been so talented he can't screw them up. Okay. Unbelievable, good guy. I, you know, I. I just don't think he could. I don't think he could coach a team to the final to the championship game. Who can? Rick. Rick definitely could. Yeah. Um. Not this year though. Um. God, I DG up for that one, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you did. You know, I would love to say that Sean Miller can, but he can't even take. He's played no, good he, teams, and he can't even get to the final four. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, Sean Miller is not. Um, not yet. Now remember, uh, Roy Williams had that reputation before he won it. And I guess you're saying he still does. He won it in 2005 and 2009. 2005, obviously, Rashad McCants, Sean May, right? What if we get like a local school, which is semi-local, I guess, like someone like 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 Xavier? That'd be cool. Make a run. Who's the coach of Xavier? Chris Mack. Chris Mack. Okay, that's right. All right, so here that look, that would be great, right? Let me. I'm gonna go through this list, and you just tell me if you're high on them or you're not high. On or them. Indiana. Okay. I mean, Indiana, again, we talked about this being a guard-driven thing. Why not Indiana? They don't have great guard depth, but why not? What about know? Texas? I know that's not local. I'm jumping there. But but the way that they've been playing here recently, I mean, uh, there's a chance. They could also be considered a bubble team in some regards, you know? Okay. All right, so Villanova, you high on them or not high on them? I think the similar rap that they always have, right? The the big right big guard same same type of Villanova that we've seen. Yeah, I saw them play against, and, and they can his you know everybody's got to take a step. Yeah, I, I'd say I think uh, Villanova can do it. Okay. Virginia. I uh, before moving on, I'm sorry. Um, if Villanova takes that step, and let's say for the sake of conversation, they were to win the title, the question then becomes how long is Jay Wright there? Well, Jay Wright's been there forever already. I, mean. I know, but he hasn't won the title. Yeah, I don't, I don't he know. He may be the next coach at one of our schools no, if he wins the there's title. Too, there's too much history there. What? I, you have too much. So just like in um, the NBA, all right, you will go with what you don't know and what you project could happen as a potential number one and it's over the overall body of work of a four-year player who you know, had four really solid years but came on late and they led his team to a title – they're still going to take the chance on the kid, on the on the person who has what the potential word, I guess. And I think there's too much um, evidence against Jay Wright that would leak to questions that he would not be one. Of, you know, and this is why I'll, I'll I'll go even further, or maybe even a Final Four run. Okay, I feel like it's in Louisville's best interest for Rick to leave, mainly so they can go, be the ones that go grab Archie Miller 
because I don't know who outside of Archie Miller. Has my uh, has our discussion on the air here influenced your? Um, I mean, do you think Archie Miller is the consensus number one candidate across the country? If you can get him out of Dayton, which I don't think is going to be easy to do. No, not easy. But he's not staying there forever. Greg Marshall staying at Wichita. Mark Few staying at Gonzaga. I mean. Dayton, and you could make an argument for Dayton being, what, the number three basketball college basketball market. market in the country or he something like that? paid well. Uh-huh. I mean, he's never yep. going to get, he's never got to worry about job security. He can take a team from Dayton to the Final Four. It's not, this is not college football. Yeah, he could win the title. Are you tired there? Are we keeping you up? Sorry, I had something in my throat. <laughs> well, never mind. We won't go there. Um, okay, so so Jay Wright and Villanova, you're not saying you're saying that they're not. Okay, do, does it carry over from Sean Miller to Archie Miller? Is Archie Miller going to have that same reputation? I, I don't know if we can say that until because Sean Miller at Xavier made a name for himself. He did, and, and he went to Arizona for a reason. Yes, and I would still now that want he's him at the at pinnacle. Arizona historically is one of those places that can that can recruit and recruit. You can get people there, right? Absolutely. He's turned into a Cal 2.0 if there is one. I would want him. Right? I would still want him at Kentucky, even given his history. That I think they're from, like, the same neighborhood, the, the, Mil- the Millers and Cal. No, <laughs> they, no, they really are. Yeah, they're so from I mean, Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and they have, like, ties. and. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so very similar, cut from the same cloth in, in some ways. Um, okay, so you're, you're evaluating it based on the whole picture. So I didn't mean absolutely. to interrupt you there. You went on, you went on to Virginia. Virginia. Well, do they have a legit chance to be? I see them. They beat the hell out of Louisville at the Yum Center. Is a very well coached team, but I don't know that they're the type of team that I could see winning a title. I agree with that. You know, you know what I mean. Um, and I would almost say similar things for Bo Ryan. Obviously, before he bailed, before he left, yeah, before he had the strangest exit procedure ever. <laughs> um, right? Yeah. And just, just a unique coach. Who's just a hell of a basketball coach. He's got it in his blood. Um, and, and there's actually Wisconsin ties there, right? But with, uh, with Bo, yeah, with, with Okay, Bennett, and yeah. I, I didn't mean to do that. But no, that, um, okay, so so moving along. No, I don't think Virginia is one of those. Okay. Iowa. Iowa who lost to Indiana this week. I don't know, man. I haven't watched Iowa play that much. By the way, Kentucky. I'm going. Center, I'm going mean, down the list of the Ken Palm rankings. All right, what do you think? What, okay. I don't think I so, would. Somebody's do it. okay. So what you're saying is you're building a case for this, Mike. And I, I don't think I think that you you know you're a Kentucky fan, and for the most part, you don't come out and say that Kentucky's going to win it all unless you actually think they will. And I don't think they can. I don't. I wouldn't put Kentucky this Kentucky team so in that realm either. You're except suggesting their guards that, are good. You're kind of suggesting that no one's going to win the title. That they should just vacate this title altogether because Louisville cannot win it. Is that would that, a, would that make you happy? <laughs> that would. That would be quite the honor. Can I start a campaign hashtag vacate the title? What about um, what about Michigan State? I mean, you could always see that. Uh, I mean, they've got the, the the star power, right? I'm looking at Valentine. These. I mean, does that count? Yeah, Valentine's. A, so who fits player. the bill better than Michigan State? You know, they have some great coach. Some losses. Coaches won it before. They always have guys like, uh, I mean, hell, Draymond Green is just an absolute testament to that system, right? They always, they always make a good run uh, in the tournament. He's coach, coach Izzo is unbelievable on short preparation. 
Um, I would, I guess I would put Michigan State in that list. Okay. So, so coaches have a big, big thing to do with it for you. This year in particular, when the talent level so low, won't you think that coaches have a big thing to do with that it? That makes sense. I think historically, as much as I can try to downplay what you're saying, I think uh, years like this when parity exists so much, so prevalent across the country, that coaching uh, is inevitably what we end up seeing, right? We see a whole bunch of Hall of Famers just hanging out in the – Sweet 16 and Elite Eight and Final Four, right? Yeah. I think that, okay, yeah, I, I can go for that. That reminds me of the year that, that uh, Louisville won it. Let's keep on going back to the year Louisville won it. Because it's, <laughs> they did, let's, uh, let's, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact Louisville won it more recently than Kentucky did. <laughs> I hate to continually harp on that. I just want, let's just keep going back to No, it, but, but remember the guys that were in that, the, I think Duke? They were uh, toward the end. They were there. Louisville had to go through Michigan State. So I mean, you get coaches like that. They the cream rises to the top. Coaching matters in college basketball more than any other sport. Without question, coaching match matters in, in college basketball. I mean, I don't think there's um, there's no question that it, I mean, okay, it's huge. Denzel Valentine had eight rebounds, ten assists, twenty seven points uh, in, in the, the Michigan State lost lost to Purdue uh, the other day. Purdue's another one. So, okay, let, this can Purdue win it all? They've got unbelievable great big guys. I don't, I'm not a big fan of their guards. So, for that reason, I say no. And, by the way, let's talk about that Louisville Final Four was you had Greg Marshall, Wichita State. Okay, fine. We can go back to it. You had Bayheim and Syracuse who had won a title. And then uh, Beeline at Michigan who, you know, has never done anything. So You're right, in the Final Four. But, I, I mean, in the Sweet 16 and stuff like that. Um, can you back out to that? Yes, I can back out to this. You're right. I mean, there's there's always good coaches in the tournament. Yeah. All right. Uh, not going out on much of a limb there. No. Are we? Okay. So, uh, so Purdue. I mean, I can't. I don't know if I. I can't put Purdue in that. And this is the other thing that I'm looking at. I'm seeing a lot of teams from the same conference, and I think Kentucky is really starting to separate themselves from the SEC. And I know that I was the ten loss Kentucky guy back in November or December, and that they're sitting at six. You have changed your tune a little bit, but this team has changed their tune. I, I, let's be fair; I mean, this team has warranted that. Not anything to do with Scal. I'm going to say they end up with eight losses on the year total, and but they could run the regular season SEC out. And all these teams in front of them are going to lose. What kind of jump can Kentucky make? First off, it'll be interesting to see what they're ranked tomorrow after a pretty solid week. What kind of jump will Kentucky make from where they are now to Selection Sunday, which is only what, like three weeks away? It is. It's three weeks away from today. What a whirlwind is this I love college basketball Selection season. Sunday. Yeah. What? What? What a, an amazing range of emotions. When when was the Louisville self-imposed sanctions? When was that announced? Two weeks ago. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I think that's about right. I remember shortly after that having a conversation. Committing suicide or thinking about committing? Not suicide. committing suicide, but I I, I got into cutting. Okay. Um, but I remember shortly after that having a discussion. Pills. Lots of pills. <laughs> lots of pills. Oh my god. Um, I remember having a discussion with, um, with a couple people and saying, you know, if Kentucky keeps losing. There'll be a bubble team. Maybe, I mean, 
Am I wrong, Mike? That wasn't that far-fetched just a couple weeks ago. I think it would have had been before the Kansas game. I think it would have had been in January. I think since, since February. Since they, they went to the uh, I think after that buzzer. win in Arkansas, they've been on a they've been on a roll. So, um, that Tennessee loss was bad. That Tennessee loss was bad, Auburn. but it was, it was a huge lesson. And that Auburn loss was before Arkansas. Okay, but but yeah, the they they've been hot lately. My point is this: is that the the college basketball season really encompasses all emotions, especially this one. Oh yeah. I mean, the the, the talent across the country and the competitive nature may be down a little bit, a little bit more parity. However, I think that's a testament to the greatness of college basketball. It is. And this, this NCAA tournament is setting up to be one of the most entertaining NCAA tournaments that we've ever seen. This could be the year that the 16 knocks off the one. Would you be surprised if this was the year that the 16 knocked off the one? I would certainly always be surprised. We've been close. What kind of schools get the 16? I'll pull up Jerry Palm's uh, 16 seeds real quick for you. Um, I gotta Hold on. i got to back out to it. Weekend Sports Buzz, is call it, us on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram Buzz line, 502-384-1450. Mike just predicted 16 over 1. You heard it here first. Does it, does it, um, is it impossible to think that Kentucky could work themselves up into 16? The, the three seed. Okay. Um, no. No. I mean, if you have Tyler Eulis putting on a Superman cape, right? Yes. Putting out career highs on the road like he did yesterday and just playing uh, amazing. No, I don't think that's far-fetched. Okay, so Why this, would it be? No, I, I think it's totally plausible. So here's, here's the 16 seats, just so we know. There's six of them because of the way it's done now. Texas Southern, Wagner, Bucknell, and Hampton. So those would be the first. The, they're the first in the first four. So I guess that's the four worst teams in the tournament. And, of course, they, that's uh, dependent on them winning their conference tournament. So this is where it gets interesting, Kelly. The other two 16 seeds are Montana and your self-proclaimed best win on the Louisville schedule, North Florida. I, that was at one point. Of the, of the non-conference Louisville schedule, your best win. <laughs> You're not going to forget that I said that, are you? It was true. That was a good team. Could we see a North Florida team knock off a one seed? Maybe. It's not out of the Give realm of possibility. Give me an example of the one. The one. They're playing Villanova, according to Jerry Palm. But North Florida versus Iowa, would you be shocked if North Florida knocks off Iowa? No. No, I guess not. That feels more like a uh, of a of a four versus a 13, doesn't it, than it does a one versus a 16? I mean, it's pretty incredible. Would you be surprised to see this Notre Dame team make a little bit of a run with how good their half-court offense is. And Demetrius Jackson, if, if Louisville fans want to say anything, Notre Dame might have the most underrated guards in the country with Jackson and Vistoria. And they okay. showed that last night, right? Yeah, they look good. I mean, Demetrius Bray Jackson. Bray has one of those reputations we were describing earlier, though. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, A lot of guys out there like that. Good coaches, good job security. I think they're not going anywhere. It's different than if you're at Notre Dame and you're not really, the expectations of the basketball team are not Final Fours and national titles. Why are they Arizona. not there? Why are they not? I mean, at some point, you got to start expecting more, right? Well, I mean, you can say that about almost all these schools, though, right? I mean, true. The only schools that expect national title that are eligible for the tournament are Duke, Kansas, North Carolina. I mean, even Maryland's Kentucky. there, but they don't. That's not their normal expectation. They'd look at this as like a, you know, regularly good year. Yeah, Kentucky. 
Indiana used to, but that, you know, not Arizona probably is getting UConn. The, does UConn fit that well, Bill? Sure. No, well, I mean, how many titles have they won? Four. They've won four, but I mean, I don't think since now, I don't think they with this team that like, they expect a title. You know, but you're right. Look at number seventeen. They have Chris Dunn, Providence. There's talent all over the place, and it's very spread out. Right. It, it, that's the point that you make, right? It's very spread out. I, I think Maryland's still the most talented team in the country. I was appalled, by the way, about what Diamond did yesterday in that game, slamming that kid's head into the ground. God, I, I didn't see that. I, I saw some tweets about it. Um, I don't think there's anybody in the Pac-12 that would concern me as far as the national title hunt maybe Arizona, and I think even to that point that UCLA could get on a run if they make the tournament in the first place. But I think they've got the talent where they could do something. But I think their coach could get in the way. Um, right now, UCLA's not even projected in the tournament. So um, I guess that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, it's just it's interesting. It's It's really interesting. And, you know, I don't – I don't feel like anyone here is so powerful that they can't get beat. And if Kansas is the overall number one seed on Selection Sunday and you're a Kentucky fan, you've got to feel pretty good about playing anybody. So, um, And then loyal fans, I'm sure, because they care so much about basketball in this area, they're going to be cheering for Kentucky too, which I really appreciate, Kelly. And I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you cheering for Kentucky in this tournament since you all cannot win. For the sake of our show being intriguing, which is an important part of my personal life, yeah. You want, to, you want them to get all the way to the end and then fold. Is that what it is? I want them to win out and just lose in the championship. <laughs> that's all. I mean, I don't wish – it's not like I want them to lose every game. Right? We were talking about that. It's a that, big difference. About that Roy Williams MO and stuff like that. and all. Can we throw that on Cal a little bit? I mean, Cal, <laughs> sure. Cal gets there. The one team he wins is just because he had way more talent than everyone else. One of the best players in the history now, of the world, maybe. You get Talent-wise in college. Right. You, Anthony Davis it was Bill Russell, right? With more guard skills. <laughs> he was. He really was. He was blocking three points. He was doing things we haven't seen before. Yeah. I could have easily coached him to a title. So... <laughs> So you know, I just snuck that in there. No, I don't know that I could. I'm I either. think there's been there's been at least two teams that Cal has taken to the Final Four that I don't think any Kentucky fan expected that team to go. To the Terrence Final Four. Jones and Brandon. Yeah, and then the Harrison twins first year. Yeah, you know when they came back. Um, obviously he does great, but I mean it's like okay, so we got to we got there with with UMass and had the possibly the best team in the country. UMass beat Kentucky earlier in the year. They didn't get it done. Memphis and uh, he he'll admit that he screwed up in that Memphis Kansas national title game that he feels like he's messed up in there. And then you've got you know I'm going to include the John Wall team that didn't make the Final Four, the Elite Eight team with Demarcus Cousins and John Wall and um, Darius. Uh, I'm sorry, DeAndre Liggins. Even and a lot of talent. Even though that Brandon Knight team wasn't expected to make it to the Final Four, they were still playing against a UConn team that was. Not very good in the regular season. And the other side was Butler and VCU. You know, that could have been one. My problem with labeling so many coaches like this, like that, is this. It's it's hard to win a title. Yeah, yeah. I've seen cases be made as to Coach K being like that. Well, you can't do that, can you? No, I've seen it. 
where he underperforms. He has so many actually, he, he contrary to popular belief, he has so many dis, you know, upsets where he loses in the tournament, and he does. You know why? It's because he's been the coach there for forty years. Yeah, and he's elite. He is elite. I think that coaches would laugh. They would say, you know, um, there's a lot of great coaches out there, and there's only one. One trophy that goes up at the end of the year that anybody really cares about. Conference tournaments are nice, um, but, uh, I mean, people care about you winning the national title in college basketball. And, and unless you do that, you're, you're going to get a, a rap being somebody who doesn't do it. All right, let me switch things up on you a little bit. Because right. we got to talk about some things that are pertinent to this area. Um, did Tom Jurich leak the USC job story just so that people could give him a love fest? I, maybe, or, or maybe not for a love fest. I if I I've thought this before. If I were Rick or Jurek, I would. <laughs> I may leak something like that just because I find it entertaining. But they also want to try to drum up some public support when they're maybe public. Yeah, I don't think that. I, I doubt that's what happened. But I'm saying if I were well, in a position it, of power, it pretty I much would looks do, that way though. I would do it. Because I think it's funny to have everybody on their heels going, oh, my God, is he going to go? Is he going to go? Exactly. He's just drinking. If I were him, I would be drinking, having a drink with a couple of my buddies just going, <laughs> Hey, go tell Tony Vanetti that I'm going to USC. Yeah. Let's see what happens. <laughs> this we'll is going to be we'll great. We'll do another round. <laughs> no, I would like that. <laughs> and right? then the guy calls, texts Tony Vanetti, and is like, hey, Tony Vanetti, uh, Jurch is looking at taking the USC job, and now Vanetti looks terrible for this whole thing. So and he's a sacrificial lamb. He's a sac. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Is Tony right? the one who broke that? Yeah, <laughs> just out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so it totally looks like it was set up. So that reminds me of stuff. Remember when uh, before Charlie Strong was hired, there was legitimate people within the city telling me John Gruden was going to coach Louisville. <laughs> Do you remember that? I do, but there's actually loyal ties to John Gruden, so it's like because of his brother. Yeah. Okay, but apparently there was no validity to it. Can we? I think it's now safe to say but, that know, there was no validity. There was validity to Parcells coming to Kentucky. Was there? There he was in Lexington. Interview. He interviewed. He was offered the job, and then he got offered the Cowboys job right afterwards. Okay. I mean, so I don't know if it's out. You know, John Gruden, and and honestly. USC would it'd be a disaster for USC to hire an AD with baggage right now after what they've just gone through. But oh, so you know, you think Jerk is damaged goods? Um, I'm not the only one who thinks that. But have you? There's been several national podcasts, one that talked about that in specifically. That, okay. Uh, but I would rather have Jurich. Obviously, I would, by the way, I would too. He has continuity going here. I'd rather have him than any other AD in the country. I'm not, and I don't debate that. Okay. Because when now, you look now, at what he's done, is there baggage? Yeah. He doesn't. Does he shy away from baggage? No. Would Would you look at what he's done for every athletic program in the city, in their facilities, and every and taking the, um, you know, the budget they had when he got here and what he's turned that into? I mean, you're exactly 100% right on that, Kelly. I would not take – but the perception being what it is and USC going through what they've gone through with a drunk head coach and Pat Hayden being a total you know, off-the-rocker just kind of personality in college football, uh, I don't think they could do it. And, but if he 
I would think if Jurich was offered that, a chance to go home to be at USC, he would go, right? Why do you say home? That's where he's from. He's from Southern California. Didn't he Colorado? Let's see. He went to he went to Northern Arizona University, but he was born in California. Okay. Hmm. You can go ahead and fact check me. Go ahead. I, I hear your little. <laughs> you hear me tip typing over here? T- yeah, I hear you typing. Okay, so you, you, would it be more appealing though? USC or Louisville? Yeah. Okay. I guess maybe. I mean, come on. I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark. All right. Yeah, Arcadia High School, which is in California. Is it in Southern California? Arcadia, California. Yeah, I have no idea exactly where Arcadia, California. Oh, come on. I mean, I know. Is it is that Inglewood? What is that? I don't know. Let's bring it up here. Is that where Snoop Dogg lives? Apparently, Jurek and Snoop Dogg were good friends for a while. That makes sense now. Yeah. All right, we're going to head to a break. Um, I do think it's interesting. If I were Rick, I would do all in the, uh, everything I could think of to just randomly go, ha, ha, ha. Tell my butt. Tell somebody that I'm ta- thinking about taking the, the UNLV uh, job. Yeah. Prostitution's legal. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. Ar- Arcadia, by the way, is in LA. Okay, so pretty close. Aha! All right, so yeah, there's maybe there's some legitimacy to that. Does USC? Would USC want him? I don't think they would right now. That's, that's what I'm saying. Given what they um, have been up against, that that's probably not a, a smart. It's a smart hire for him, but it's probably not the right hire. The for narrative him. is not complete for Jurek it, during his time at U of L, right? Yeah, but he's if still they a young come guy. out of this, if they come out, of, what I mean is, if they come out of this with a um, reputation for people who've had uh, scandals and they've been resilient, and who who is it that calls Rick Pitino Teflon? The you Teflon know? Don. Um, I don't know somebody. But what I'm saying is, if that's your reputation, is overcoming adversity. And I'm not taking a, a and I kind of am taking a, a page right out of Earl Heyman's book from last week. If that's your reputation, that's not that bad. If they win another title in basketball, right? Arcadia, California is 20 miles away from USC's campus. So what are you saying? Jerks is gone? No, I don't think he's gone at all. Just I mean, I think that was a very smart thing for him to leak because it made sense. I don't, I don't think there was ever a job. But you offer. think he purposely leaked it? I think he purposely leaked it. Or do you, also because he. Maybe he actually wanted it. He wanted to know if it was an option. No, I think he was going more for the show of public support. I do think people would be foolish to not want him here. Oh, absolutely. If you like sports. If you're only a fan of the University of Louisville because of the academic side, I, you know. Here's the one reason why he does not go to L.A. And I've said this before on the show. There's no other city our size where the athletic director at the university have as much power as he does. Here. Here. And I'm not talking about the university. I'm talking about the city of Louisville. Yeah. He, he's basically the mayor. Well, I wouldn't go that far. but Or something like, I mean, not not far off from being one of the more prominent figures in the city. Oh, he's 100%. People bad. who know who he is, yeah. if he walks into a room. You're going to know exactly who he is. You're going to know. I mean, he's responsible for Rick Bettino making a decision to come here. Right. Uh, Charlie Strong, who's the coach at Texas. He was the one who gave Charlie Strong his first job. Yeah. Bobby Petrino, second chances. He hired Bobby Petrino twice. Um, I mean, his name is, is sprinkled all across the, the landscape of athletics across the country. All right, so we're going to head to a break? We're going to head to a break. We got our man Myron Medcalf of ESPN will be joining us to talk specifically about a national perspective on the self-imposed sanctions 
that UofL put on themselves. So, I mean, I, I find that very interesting. We encourage you to give us a call. Oxmoor Chrysler, Dodge Jeep, and Ram. Buzz line is 502-384-1450. Give us a call. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Stay tuned. Mike and I will be right back with more of the Weekend Sports Buzz. You need someone to love you. You need someone to be thinking of you. Welcome back to the final segment of the Weekend Sports Bus here on 1450 WXVW. Coming at you from Jeffersonville, Indiana and serving the greater Louisville, Kentucky area. The hotbed of college basketball, Kelly Patrick. No doubt about it, right? But this is this is where college basketball is king. Yeah, no question about that. And I mean, Tobacco Road is significant. We can't overlook that. If not, we're being, not according to what uh, Brian the Insider was talking about, those ACC guys were, were shocked that Kentucky fans are going to Louisville road games in the ACC play, right? I mean, that, well, Kentucky is a different breed. They're like a di- they're, they're like from a different. What I mean is they're mostly no. I'm inbred? Not gonna, did you say inbred? <laughs> I did not say it. no. What what I mean is they're just a different breed, right? Kansas is probably like that. Oh, I don't. Okay. Right? No. Is Kansas well, the most yeah, comparable? Kansas, probably, Kansas yeah. is the most comparable to Kentucky. But Kansas doesn't have a Louisville. Okay, Kansas State is not that. Would you agree with that? Kansas State is not that, right? Yeah, haven't won the title. So this is this to me. This we're the number one college basketball market, right? We're the number one. We'll be the number one market this year for the NCAA tournament. Whether you know, even with Louisville not playing, right? Because that's never affected it before. Always, or always will be. So this is it. This is this is the hotbed. This is where we're at. So. Uh, we're really excited. Uh, uh, Kelly's right now working on uh, getting our man Myron Metcalf on the line so we can uh, so we can interview one of ESPN's top college basketball writers and uh, and, and spe- specifically talk about the landscape of college basketball and uh, and what's going on here nationally at Louisville as well as some of the other uh, places that are up against some investigations and uh, see what we can get done. So uh, overall, this is where basketball lives. This is this is where college basketball is king. And uh, you know it makes this it makes this whole show fun because of that. Oh, Kelly, we good to go? Looks like we're squared away. We got our man Myron Medcalf of ESPN on the line with us. How you doing this morning, Myron? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Doing great. We appreciate you joining us this morning. I know that um, you are a national reporter for ESPN. You cover college basketball. That's your thing. Um, Louisville, obviously one of the bigger programs across the country. I am very interested to hear your take specifically on the self-imposed sanctions for the University of Louisville. They punish themselves. In your opinion, is Louisville's self-imposed sanctions adequate in the eyes of the NCAA, or will there be additional punitive action taken against the university? Oh, I think the next camera's coming. It's just a matter of time. Uh, and it's just a matter of what that may be. I think Louisville took a very practice and a very smart step to impose the postseason ban. And even in doing so, they kind of looked out for themselves. They did it this year instead of next year, uh, which would have affected potential this year's class. But I think the NCAA is still going to continue its investigation and really drop a hammer on Louisville. Uh, what people may not realize is that the NCAA does not have to look at this self-imposed penalty 
and include it with whatever it decides to do. They can ignore what Louisville did altogether and say, we're still going to issue a new round of penalties. And I think we're dealing with something that's so unique. Uh, the idea that potentially a program used uh, sex acts that were paid for by an assistant to lure recruits to the program, if that is in fact what the NCAA discovers in its investigation, that is a very unique circumstance, and I just don't see how Louisville gets through that without really being punished in a way that will affect the program years down the line. When comparing this situation and the self-imposed action that was taken to something else historically, the first thing that pops to mind for me would be Syracuse. Would you consider at least the allegations of what Louisville has, has done, would you consider that to be more egregious than Syracuse's violations? There weren't escorts involved, in my knowledge, at Syracuse. And I just think we're dealing with something at Louisville that is very unique. So were there issues at Syracuse? Sure. And obviously that, that program was, was penalized. Bayhawn gets a nine-game suspension. Uh, more than 100 wins were vacated. Uh, there were obviously different scholarship issues and, and sanctions against the program. And that hurt Syracuse, obviously. That, that would hurt Syracuse for a couple of years. And, and certainly uh, it's a hit to Jim Bayhawn's legacy. I don't think that's any comparison to what we're talking about with Louisville. And again, we've got to wait to see what all the investigations reveal. But we're dealing with a situation where perhaps a coach used sex to lure recruits onto campus. And it's unique, it's egregious, it's excessive, it's every word you can imagine. And I think the NCAA is going to take its time because they're going to make an example of Louisville. They're going to say, if you try this stuff with your program, you will be punished the same way that we're getting ready to punish Louisville. And that's what they did with Syracuse. Uh, that's what they've done with other programs, with Larry Brown at SMU. They're trying to make examples. They're trying to establish the fact that we're still the NCAA, we still run the show, and they will do that with Louisville when they issue their final penalty. Fact that this could, we're talking about the fact that this could also be like underage sex trafficking, and you're talking about paying for sex for high school kids. I mean, this is... There's some significance overall there that just is, you know, I think the NCAA's got to take a stand against. Yeah, and I think, but, like, there's so many investigations going on. The NCAA has an investigation. Local law enforcement have an investigation going. Uh, the school has an investigation. And, and I think it's only fair to allow these investigations to play out because a lot of things should come about. Like you said, there could be some criminal issues here. There's so many possibilities with this situation. That's why it's hard to speculate on what the punishment will be. But you better believe Louisville is going to get hit with a penalty that this school and this program will feel for a long, long time because the NCAA can't slap them on the wrist. They can't say, okay, you imposed the self-imposed penalty for, for the postseason. Right now, that'll be it. No, they've got to say, look, we're going to make an example of you because if we don't, then maybe this happens at other places and they won't fear the consequences. Now, comparing both the University of Louisville and Syracuse's violations to the um, alleged violations and investigation that has happened at the University of North Carolina, why does it seem Syracuse and Louisville are expected to self-impose penalties on themselves, whereas the NCAA appears to be at least dragging their feet with North Carolina? Yeah, I think there's all these different situations. I mean, Louisville learned something about the investigation that prompted them to impose this, this ban. Same with Syracuse. Uh, UNC's investigation, obviously, the infractions investigation continues. Uh, they've self-reported a number of violations. 
we all know that they're tied to these academic issues, and I think, you know, they could have imposed a penalty if they wanted to. The difference is we don't know the connection between the basketball program and these paper classes that these students were enrolled in. So I think that's the difference. The, the situations we deal with at Syracuse and Louisville, those are directly tied to men's basketball at those institutions. We're still waiting to find out if at all there's any sort of connection between North Carolina and this bigger academic uh, fraud case that has been going on with the student-athletes at that program. Once again, we are the Weekend Sports Buzz, joined by Myron Medcalf of ESPN. Myron's been on ESPN Sports Center recently uh, discussing the Player of the Year race. Myron, is it a Buddy Heald race all by himself, or does someone like Ben Simmons have a chance at this Player of the Year conversation and, and uh, being a legitimate candidate? I think Buddy Hill had the award last month. I think it's his award. Um, and I think just based on what he's doing right now, how he's shooting, his importance to a team that's still fighting for, uh, you know, a high seed in the NCAA tournament and even in the Big 12, I think Buddy Hill has certainly proven that it's his award. When you get interesting, I mean, when the conversation gets interesting, it's when you talk about the All-American race. You know, I don't know who you put next to him on the first team all-America squad because there are a number of players that I think could join him. But right now, I mean, if you're any sort of respectable institution that is going to offer a National Player of the Year award, you will give it to Buddy Heald or, or, you know, you will be criticized because everyone in the country knows he deserves it. Buddy Heald, uh, upperclassman, seems to be a recurring theme across college basketball this year that upperclassmen-led teams are having the most success. Do you think that flops like Diallo with Kansas – and Scal at University of Kentucky has led to possibly a change for the big programs going forward with less emphasis on recruiting the one-and-dones, or is this year a little bit more of an, an aberration? Listen, if you can afford a Porsche, you're not going to buy a Toyota. And if you can lure the best players in the country to your institution, that's who you're going to get. So no, nothing will change. Kansas and Kentucky and Duke and all these other teams will always go after the best talent in a particular recruiting class. The challenge is it's just hard to make sure that these guys stay in school, and that's kind of what you run, run up against. But at the same time, it worked for Duke last year. It worked for Kentucky in 2012. It's worked for a number of teams. This is just a year where the freshmen aren't as good as they've been in past seasons, but nothing will change in terms of how teams recruit. The teams that have access to the McDonald's All-Americans, they will continue to pursue those athletes. There's no reason not to. Uh, the goal is, obviously, is to hope that you can make sure they develop and that they come in maybe more prepared than some of this year's freshmen have been thus far. Myron Medcalf of ESPN, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Have a great rest of your weekend. We look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you. All right, thank you. Good stuff there. I'm Mike. Yeah, I mean, overall. Not exactly. Does that make me sound like a homer having that guy on talking about Louisville? No way. I mean, he was not very pro uh, Louisville coming out of this without being touched. No, and I think overall, I mean, you know, not Ashley's not here to defend herself, but there's a natural, there's a different national perspective of what's going on here at Louisville that the that is kind of ignored in this in the city by Louisville fans because we want to believe that nothing's true. We want to believe that. You know, this is no big deal, or this happens everywhere, or 
blah 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 blah. And we excuse it away to such a degree, and it may happen. And we lose everywhere. the severity, but we still can't Regardless, lose the severity of it. No, you, you can't. And his emphasis was on. <laughs> he continued to go back to well, if there was prostitution and escorts, right? Yeah. You're screwed he, he at kept, that point. He kept backing up because it, me, as, a, as a, a, a guy covering Louisville, I've said from the beginning, I, I believe this happened. And I don't think many people are saying that they don't think this happened, right? No, that's true. So in the, the way that he's, he was well, handling listen, it was saying, I think now if they it, are. It, he was treating it as if it was just allegations. I think he's treating the part of like, obviously there's, there's some truth. But he's not going to go out on the limb and tell you what the allegations, what the allegations are, because he doesn't have any knowledge of that directly, and it would be it would be idiotic for him to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, but overall, I mean, his his whole sense of things is like if there was prostitution involved, NCAA's going to throw the hammer at Louisville, and then that goes back to what we were discussing earlier about. What happens with and what else he said too is that the NCAA doesn't even have to take Louisville's postseason ban into consideration, you know, based on what they do. But don't you believe there's some communication uh, from the university? No, actually, I don't. I think Chuck Smart is making his best guess. Okay. And you're talking about now, like, okay, it's like, you know, the season gets over. Okay. First off, I think. Meyer Metcalf, I think Louisville did the right thing by self-imposing this year, trying to rip the Band-Aid off, trying to move forward. Louisville's trying to move forward. It hurts. It sucks for this team. It sucks for the not only the fifth-year seniors, but if they would have done this over the summer, then all these kids could have left no problem, and I think they would have been eligible right away on top of that. Do you think there's a chance they're not eligible for the postseason next year? I think there is a chance they're not eligible for the postseason. God, how devastating would that be? But even more, as much rose-colored glasses as I have, it'd be uh, terrible. But even as as embarrassing that, or as as terrible as that could be, is that the threat of that being out there and how that affects the current Louisville team and what those kids have to decide to do without having all the information on whether or not there's going to be a ban or there's not going to be a ban. On what what is best for their basketball career? Is it better to go somewhere else and now have to sit out a year, but know that you're going to get three years of the NCAA tournament if you're Donovan Mitchell, or you know you can salvage some piece of this? What's best for their basketball career? It'd be equally as bad for them to have a big time hiatus in in April or May, because that's when it would happen, and then not have a postseason ban and going to have a team that's going to be terrible. Basically, because of it. What a, what a downer, you know? I mean, but listen to this show. It's a real possibility, though, Listen right? to this show, all right? I'm a Louisville and a Reds fan, okay? Listen to the show that we had today. <laughs> I hate to be, deg- you know, negative Nancy or Debbie Downer. Mo Egger came on to talk to us about how the Reds will be historically bad. Yes. Then we had a national perspective on the Louisville basketball scandal. <laughs> legitimate. If there's a legitimate college basketball source out there who's not biased, not a part of the rivalry. Could care less. It's Myron Medcalf. Yes. And he just said, <laughs> if there's any truth to what Katina Powell said, basically is what he said, then this is going to be catastrophic. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. Well, and I think the problem is, though, it's like we're, but we're given a dose of reality when there's not a whole lot of doses of reality out there to be had. I mean, you know, it, it's not, and, and starting with 
you know, a couple weeks ago or 10 days ago when Rick Pitino said it's not as bad as everyone thinks his press conference, but he has no idea what's going on. Right? He's supposed to be completely dark, left in the dark in the uh, in the investigative process. He has not even talked to the NCAA yet. So how, you know, we this could be very significant. And it needs to be understood that, that there's a chance for that. In all seriousness, I think that times of, and I'm not trying to be preachy or, or recite bumper stickers, in times of adversity, I think the true character of people comes out. And I think the fan base for the University of Louisville should channel this energy, and I just came up with this, and put it all behind the University of Louisville women's team and support them through the tournament. Well, I would hope that would happen anyway, right? Mike, come on. Let's get a little more excitement. For that. Oh, go, you used to go. coach women's basketball. I did. Louisville's not as good as Kentucky is in the women's basketball this year, even though they're ranked higher. But. Historically, everybody knows women. Louisville, and this is where it's going to come from this. Historically, everybody knows Louisville's or Kentucky's women, they choke. <laughs> Oxmoor Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram buzz line, 502-384-1450. It's a lash, national laughing stock. We'll have a guest on next week, uh, a women's basketball analyst with a national perspective on the uh, common perception that Matthew Mitchell and the University of Kentucky women's team are historically choke artists. I would like to actually get – it wouldn't be a bad idea to get a women's perspective on how Louisville's issues – I mean, I think they've all got to be put together. The Karen Cipher deal, Bob, bringing Bobby Petrino in after his his uh, issues, uh, the, the fields, bringing in fields, and then now this, how that affects a woman's perspective on the Louisville's – on the Louisville Athletic Program. Nationally, I'm not, not going to approve. I'm not going to approve a single another national perspective on the University of Louisville. No program. more. No more. Just because it's too painful. It's not. It's not fun. Yeah. No. But thank God I have my Reds to look forward to. <laughs> uh, well, in all seriousness, there's then, always positivity. Sports is an outlet for positivity. If you have to do without one of them for one year, you. I mean, right. Sports is also a microcosm of, of society when, a, you know, a guy's on top like Peyton Manning and then we get this story that comes out about the sexual misconduct of Peyton That's Manning. That's been out at, there forever, though. I know, but it resurfaces, <laughs> at t- you know, about this thing, about him and this person. That is person not fair, is it? I mean, it's just people trying to knock people down. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And I think there's been a lot of parallels and there may be racial implications to it, but Peyton Manning, when he lost the Super Bowl... He did not speak with reporters. He handled himself in a similar way to what Cam Newton did. Oh, like after like the post-game press yeah. conference. Okay, I so that no is st- stirred up an entire um, topic of things that who, whose violations while in the SEC were more egregious. Cam Newton was accused while at Florida of stealing a, a laptop from a uh, uh, roommate. Right. Peyton Manning, did you read that? I, I, I read some of it. I mean, he very disturbingly sexually um, assaulted. assaulted. God, yeah. how horrible does that sound? But yeah, he's a sexual predator, right? It's not good. It's not good. It sounds very disgusting. Um, and, and as much as I like to make light of issues, I, that's not funny, right? No, it's not funny at all. That isn't. I mean, if, 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 if you're sexually harassing someone... Who does not, not enjoy harassing, assaulting. assaulting, you're right. Assaulting someone who is completely against their will, 
and they don't think it's funny, that is very disturbing. But it's very disturbing for the woman as much as it is for Peyton Manning when this stuff has been dealt with, however it's been dealt with, whether it's been dealt with right or wrong, to bring up a story that's 20 years old. Oh, so you think that it's a, a negative for her right yeah, now? Yeah, but did she want to relive all that? Huh? You know, wherever she works now, she's got to put up with all these things in the news, you know? Um, her last name, by the way, is kind of ironic. Do you see what her last name was? No. Uh, look it up. I can't. I can't remember. It's 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 fairly funny. It, not funny as an ironic. Not funny as in hilarious. Um, You're not gonna say it. You say it. Not right. Yeah, it's not right. That's exactly what she, it is. Doctor Jamie, not right. Not right. She's a doctor. Yeah. Well, she was a she was a doctor when she was at Tennessee. I don't. She wasn't a student, was she? From what I understand. But maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. So. It's not. No. It's not as bad as a Jameis Winston type thing. No, but it's not good. Definitely it's reflective good. of a, of a of a culture that is um, very negative. That's bad. That's bad news all over it. Um, regardless, we we do have plenty to look forward to in my eyes over the next twelve months. I'm a boxing fan, MMA fan. I'll be I'll be doing other things. Listen, we're don't go twelve months. We have the national tournament. You Louisville fans are still going to look forward to the national tournament for college basketball. And don't act like you won't. You might see, like, it kind of stinks right now, but as soon as that first upset hits on the Tuesday of the NCAA tournament, you're going to be all wrapped up into whatever is going on. You're right. We're still a college basketball market. And by the way, that could happen. Exactly what you just said. Kentucky could get knocked off in the first round just as easily as they could win it all this year. And I, I agree with that. And that's what is beautiful about the sport. Especially this year. Been a great show. Uh, I mean, can't imagine um, a couple better guests than Mo Egger and Myron Medcalf of e- both of ESPN. We appreciate them coming on. We're going to wrap things up here. Be sure to tune in next Sunday, which once again will be an extended version of the Weekend Sports Buzz from 9 a.m. until noon. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.